It's Wednesday, June 23rd. Welcome to Real Talk. This episode presented by the team at Bitcoin. Well, if you're watching crypto right now, you know you're watching a, a free fall. Bitcoin breaking below the 30,000 mark for the first time in a long time. A lot of people have a lot of different opinions on what that means. For some folks, they're saying we told you so. All the gains from 2021 are gone. Others are saying, what do you expect? China, the human rights abuser, is pushing back. This is what happens. Just wait and see. If you need to make sense of it with somebody who knows what they're talking about before you make a big decision for your own personal finances, talk to the team at Bitcoin Well. You'll find them under the Sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Well, the band's back together this morning. Ryan Jesperson here with Sarah Hoyles, Samuel Brooks. We've got a great show in store coming up in a few minutes. Cheryl Tay joins us. Uh, Sarah from Singapore, correct? She's 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 chiming in a journalist for Insider, Insider Singapore Bureau. And we're talking about lying flat. Yeah, and we're not talking about sleeping. We're talking about lying flat. It's a whole trend, apparently. That could involve sleeping, maybe in a way. Okay, maybe good some point. people would maybe some people would integrate sleeping into their lying flat, but it's more of like a mindset. It's more of an approach to life, right? I I believe so. That yeah. is that is that is the gist. We shall find out. We it's, shall see. It's the next generation. <laughs> it's it's the the movers and shakers of China's next generation. These are the young professionals, basically, uh, that are saying that are saying uh, you know we're going to be sort of pushing back on everything that society has been telling us we're going to be pushing back on everything that has defined success in past years in china what has defined worth or value or, or how people have attributed value uh, imposed it on others uh we're, we're, we're going to do what's best for us we're going to make decisions best for us at least that's how i understand it so that's coming up in like 10 minutes or so yeah, I was also listening to a, a news broadcast from Al Jazeera, and one of the stories they were talking about is that there's uh, the twenty-somethings in China are getting liver spots and they're losing hair because of the high stress. Wow! Just because of the uh, the one-child policy, which has now been revised, but for the generations that are actually in their twenties, mm-hmm. they're part of the one-child policy, and so it's like, yeah, it's one and done. So you gotta you yeah. gotta excel or. Th- th- that cultural influence mm. might remain for a while after the policy, right? Mindsets are changing. So we'll get great insight from Cheryl Tate coming up on that. We we have uh, three hours left in our Twitter poll. Nobody gave a rat's ass about this Twitter poll. Can I say? Can I just say? Let me put two Twitter polls up back to back. I mean, real talk. Let's have real talk about something. Look at this. We ask you about, is it okay to wear shoes inside the house? You can see it on my screen right now. We've asked you this. If you follow me on Twitter at Ryan Jesperson, is it okay to wear shoes inside the house? We're going to be talking to National Post columnist Tristan Hopper in a bit, in in about an hour and a half from now. We'll talk to him about this. Almost 4,300 votes on that. 4,300 votes. That's great. And you, by the way, you put it out there. You only ran it for 12 hours. I don't know if you noticed that. I did because I was like, we don't we want to wrap this sucker up. Yeah. So only so 4,200 votes in 12 hours. That's a lot. That is a lot. A lot of engagement, a lot of traction, a lot of engagement. So four to five people, 80.3% said hard. No, it is not okay to wear shoes inside the house. We then asked you by way of our, our new Real Talk RJ Twitter account. 
We asked you, should employers require proof of COVID-19 vaccination as part of return to work policy, which affects everybody and is a big deal? And like 700 people voted. 700 people voted. And 73% said yes. Three out of four. But it's it's still open, right? It's still open. There's three three hours left. I'm just saying, the point I'm making anecdotally is that more people care or people care more (laughs) about shoes in the house than they do about vaccines at work. Maybe it's about control. I think people are just sick of talking about COVID, quite frankly. I think that's what it is. Or maybe they're like, I can't control what happens here. Whereas shoes in my house, I Mm. can say... Get the hell out. Well, but maybe people can control workplace policy on this. Like, I wonder, you know, for obviously I'd be curious to hear. And I know that Mm. our real talkers, our audience members will hear this through the day, either live now or later in the afternoon when the podcast drops. People, I mean, if you're an employer, I'd love to hear from you using our hashtag Real Talk RJ. If you're an employee, I'd love to know if your Mm. employer consulted you on this. I've been hearing from a lot of people. Uh, friends of mine that work in oil and gas, friends of mine that work law firms, friends of mine that work in finance, different industries have said our employers, uh, one big insurance company they named, um, they've said our employers have actually been really great being proactive and saying, what are you comfortable with Interesting. when it comes to your return to work? Now, there's probably this sort of, I'm not going to say insidious, that's ridiculous, but there, there's obviously ulterior motives where the, the companies are probably saying, hey, if we can get employees on the record saying they'd rather work from home, if we can essentially take that as a mandate to keep 25 to 75 percent of our workforce working from home and we can vacate a whole bunch of our expensive commercial real estate and decrease our footprint, you know, economically and otherwise, when it comes to those types of expenses, I bet you employers are looking for the green light. If you're telling your employer right now, I would rather work from home full time when we're out of this pandemic. Mm -hmm. In other words, I'd rather maintain what I've been doing for the last year and a half. You've seen that my work is not compromised. You've seen I remain productive. I don't commute anymore. I don't pay for parking. My quality of life's amazing. Why wouldn't employers go for it? I mean, I think that that's there's probably going to be a big change there. I think so. I mean, we're looking at trends at that people are wanting to stay home, that this whole work from home thing was like, oh, an eye opener. Yeah. I think it also showed that people can work from home, still be productive, still get the work done. Sure, there's blurring of boundaries. The one thing that I wonder about is the downloading of cost. So sure, the employer's not paying for the office space and the mm-hmm. square footage and the utilities, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the employee then has to... Pay for the, the internet and the, the electricity. Yeah, and, the whole, you know, roof over their head. So, you know, I found myself sort of thinking of the types of expenses that that employees might incur at home by themselves. And I thought about, you know, internet, electricity and natural gas. Mm-hmm. Right. And then that reminded me that the team at Park Power right now <laughs> at parkpower.ca is providing those three services for Albertans. They've been doing it for, for coming up on 10 years now. And what I love about them, why we're proud to partner with them, one of the reasons is because they take their profit sharing seriously. 10% of their profits every year go back into nonprofits in the community. Talk about finding ways to assist people as they make their way back from the challenges of this pandemic. You're going to pay somebody for you, utilities. Why not pay the company that's local, that works with us, that has a great social media uh I mean, their platforms, Instagram in particular, I really enjoy. And plus, they get what it means to be part of the community. Parkpower.ca. Use the promo code 2021-REALTALK. They'll take $70 off your first bill. Also, big shout out to the team at Eden Landscaping. I was checking out Landscape Edmonton. I've been telling you, I pop in on this and I check out the photos because it's K 
Carrie and I have been trying to find ways to, quite frankly, on a budget, increase and improve the curb appeal at our place and make our backyard more user-friendly. We've got drainage issues back there. Our lawn is a disaster. Did I tell you I've given up on my lawn? I've given up on my lawn this summer. I don't care. I've tried every summer. Reseeding, reseeding, resodding, reseeding, resodding. Two 75-pound dogs. What do you expect? It looks terrible. So I'm going to the team at Eden Landscaping saying, what can you do? So he sent us to the website. That's where it starts. It'll start there with you too. LandscapeEdmonton.ca. Our partners at Eden Landscaping. Let's get into this. What's going on in China with regards to this lying flat movement? Thousands and thousands, maybe millions of young people are at least considering it or officially adopting it. It marks a dramatic departure from what culture has dictated for generations. Cheryl Tay is a journalist with uh, Insider's Singapore Bureau, kind enough to join us this morning, or, or I suppose not, it's not first thing in your morning, Cheryl, but welcome to the show and thanks so much for doing this. Yes, good to speak with you. Um, joining you from Singapore <laughs> um, and at Insider Asia's Asia Bureau. Uh, Shell, would you give us a sense of of what this lying flat trend is, where it started? Well, that's a great question. Um, the lying flat trend basically started in China, and it really came to the fore this April after some post on um, Weibo, which is the Chinese version of Twitter. So this went viral and it was basically a manifesto um, from the Chinese uh, that originated on the Chinese internet that advocated for lying flat rather than um, standing up and moving forward. (laughs) So yes, um, it runs counter to a lot of what the Chinese government is advocating for, which is productivity and hard work. Um, And basically these people are, for lack of a better word, just giving up. Hmm. This is, I suppose, it's, I've, I've seen it described as a, a sort of a quiet rebellion against this, mm-hmm. this work culture of, of 996. Can you explain the, the, the significance? What's the significance of those numbers? Well, 996 basically means 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., six days a week. Um, some people might not actually find that too foreign in the Western world. Um, I think that the culture of overwork is basically endemic worldwide, but it's especially the case in China um, where people feel this need and compulsion to work long hours, not only to satisfy their bosses, but to get ahead. And that was the core of this lying flat movement where people just thought there's no way that I can get ahead even with working 996 hours and being online 24 7 it's never going to be enough because someone else is going to work longer hours than i am and that's what they call nature or involution um where people will just endlessly step over each other and rather than participate in the rat race why not just lie down (laughs) so cheryl this is i mean i would imagine uh having different impacts this lying flat movement on different generations, right? It may resonate mm-hmm. with young people in particular, but I would imagine that it that it's concerning other Chinese citizens as well. Perhaps those from older generations that have adopted this nine nine six approach for for decades. What are you noticing? What are you seeing? Okay. 
I think that what I saw in the process of writing this story was that younger people are choosing to lie flat while older people are disapproving um, of the movement in general. I think that the point was they did not quite agree with the idea of um, lying flat. They prefer to advocate for more active lifestyles. And I think that um, another point that I would make is that the Chinese youth appears to be split down the middle as well, where some people do um, buy into the idea of 996 and some people do not. So you have people who move forward inexorably and very much uh, think that 996 is the way to go. And there are people who would rather not. So, yeah, I think that there's a fundamental conflict in Chinese society um, where one half thinks, I, I think it maybe one half thinks that um, that's the way to go and another half doesn't. So, yeah. So, Cheryl, there, there's uh, I mean, I, I recognize when I when I ask uh, about, you know, the Chinese population or how do people respond? We're talking about almost a billion and a half people. Mm-hmm. So that needs to be taken into consideration. I would imagine there are regional implications, urban or rural implications. But but what would yeah. be do, I mean, w- w- with regards to somebody going public, let's say. With, with their intent to lie flat or their adoption of that mindset or, or their, their easing of the pressure personally on themselves. Do you note implications? Are there social implications? Would you consider this to be a divisive issue like sometimes politics or anything else can be? I think that it's very much divisive, actually, where um, the Chinese government actually censored the post that advocated for lying flat. So that in itself tells you a lot about what the party's position is. And you had the Communist Party's youth wing coming out to disavow the movement entirely and say that the Chinese youth have never chosen to lie flat. So there you have the party line um, where they're pushing forward information that basically says that this is an unacceptable thing to happen in China. And on the other hand, you have this group of people that is growing in numbers and is becoming increasingly dissatisfied with the status quo in their country and would rather live life on their own terms, um, regardless of what the authorities or authority figures or their families might say. So I think that therein lies the political implications and moving on to what you mentioned about economic and social implications. I think one of the biggest fears that a party might have is that by lying flat, people are giving up on very fundamental things like having children, starting families. And with the Chinese government's removal of the two-child limit and trying to push it to three children, this is a huge stumbling, stumbling block in that if people are choosing to lie flat and just give up, then who's going to work hard to have families and flourish in the cities? And are, are they breeding a generation of basically individualistic people who choose to be content with their current state instead of um, advocating for a more forward-looking, as the Chinese Communist Party would put it, approach to life where hard work pays off. The Chinese dream of yeah. 
Cheryl, it's it's interesting to hear you describe it as as essentially giving up. Um, you know, I can I can think of examples even in my personal life of people I know who have who have walked away from the rat race, so to speak. They've mm. either they found a different way to pay their bills or they've sold everything and moved to a wonderful uh, a location somewhere else in the world that's captivated their attention. But 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 they've far from given up They're 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 just taking a different approach. They're prioritizing things differently. They're in many cases uh, observing what they need for their own health, their mental health, their physical mm. health and otherwise is lying flat m- about more than just giving up is is it maybe people just reevaluating priorities i think that there are multiple ways to think to think about this but the stereotype in china is that a lot of people who are choosing to lie flat are basically quitting their jobs Mm. and not doing much else (laughs) with their lives so in my story i actually spoke to someone who is not working at the moment he um, plays computer games all day and that's what he does but I also will concede that I spoke to a number of people who are living as you said productive lives and simply reevaluating their priorities and um, choosing an alternative way to pay the bills other than um, the conventional work life which I think is fully valid and it's just not a concept that might have um, occurred to a lot of people who live in China's major cities where succeeding in university and getting a corporate job, like getting a corporate job is much more important than, you know, um, living life in your own terms and finding alternative ways to pay your bills. So, yeah, I mm. think that's what we're looking at now. There is a fundamental chasm between these two camps. Cheryl, do you, so, get, yeah. do you get the sense that the Chinese government can respond i mean obviously um government relations diplomacy uh government action legislation is 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 very different um you know for many people that'll be listening to this podcast in canada or in north america obviously the way that it works in china is oftentimes very different you described the the post itself about lying flat being censored for example by the chinese government Mm -hmm. However, regardless of politics, sometimes governments must bend to the will of the people, most especially when you have a massive population like China does. The power of the people can exceed what a government may estimate. Do do you see the government being pushed to respond to this in in meaningful fashion? In other words, uh, upon reflection in a way that that may satiate some of these people lying flat. Where do you see this going from the government's perspective? Um, I always like to say that you never know what the Chinese government's going to do <laughs> with these things. Um, they are not exactly known for bending to the will of the people. Of you. Um, I think that with the two-tall policy, it was a very good example of um, perhaps the government not quite understanding what their population is looking for and not quite catering to the needs of their population. So um, what I'm referring to in that case is how a lot of people are saying that the lifting the quota is not the point. Um, what they need are policies on the ground that will facilitate alternative, you know, facilitate alternative lifestyles instead of having, um, pushing people to do things that they don't want to do. But so far, I don't see much of a track record on the part of the party that reflects that. 
Um, in fact, more of the contrary can be seen from the past. Um, but I think that I'm quite optimistic that if enough people join the Lying Flat movement and if some positive benefit can be seen from the movement, for example, um, a raising in productivity, because that's the biggest fear of the government right now, that the Lying Flat movement is going to be a huge stumbling block to productivity, a huge obstacle to them raising their population levels. So if the government sees a way around it, then perhaps there may be a way to introduce policies that will make this possible. But other than that... I don't see a world in which that's going to happen. Unfortunately, is, Cheryl, is there? Yeah, and and obviously that it'll. I mean, the implications of that. I mean, your perspective. If that's the way it goes, these next number of years will be fascinating to see how it plays out. Well, pardon my ignorance on this. Is there, when it comes to China, are, are the, is there a federal program or there federal supports, social supports with things? You know, for example. You know, here in Canada, people may say, well, you know, someone's on they'll find a way to be on on long term disability, either valid or not. They'll find a way to be on some form of income support. There's talk of a of a universal basic income or of employment insurance if people have lost their jobs. Is there an equivalent program in in China that that you think would would come into play here in discussion around a lying flat trend? Can someone go on a social support? Does that exist? Unfortunately, I think that it it differs greatly from the Western world in that case. Um, That's primarily why lying flat became such a thing, because people were working very hard to not end up in compromised positions where um, they had to rely on the authorities for support because there's close to no support from the authorities. Um, It's not a welfare state, so that's not going to happen. Um, And I don't think that it will play into the conversation much because the government is not moving in that direction where that would become a concern for them, where you have more and more people relying on social support. Um, Most of the time, people are left to their own devices, just like the youths that I spoke to in my story. I think that they have some very valid concerns about what might happen to them, especially when they grow grow older and um, their parents grow older as well. And there isn't room for, you know, um, the government to step in and take control of the situation on their behalf. Yeah. So, no, I don't think that's going to be a huge factor coming into the conversation. But you're absolutely right that this is going to be a fascinating few years going forward, because as more people join the movement, things might change. I might be singing a very different tune um, once two years from now. Well, well, we'll keep an eye on your journalism. We'll keep an eye on your reporting and we'll follow up. I'll be curious to see where this goes. Um, Cheryl, may I ask you, you're I mean, you're 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 checking in with us. You're, you're zooming in from from the Republic of Singapore, about five million people there, a sovereign island. What's may I ask about your reality as, as a storyteller, as a journalist, um, how your proximity uh, to, to mainland China, uh, I mean, how that factors in to, to things like um, the work you're able to put out, your vulnerability to censorship based on government. What's that like for you on a daily basis? I don't think that the censorship from the Chinese government plays into my work at all because um, I work for an American news organization and I'm not quite based in China. Like I'm not bodily based in China. Yeah. So 
um, that does not affect the work that we put out. I think that um, the sensitivity of it, um, I think that being able to speak truth to power is very important in our journalism. And personally, I enjoy exploring um, these little interesting tidbits that are coming out of the region, especially to do with social change and, you know, things that are, you know, changing really swiftly in China as well. I think there's a lot of interest in the region and we're not going to stop looking into these things. Yeah, have you have you found or have you experienced a difficulty having your your work uh, blocked? I mean, do, do uh, are, are Chinese citizens, would you say, for the most part, able to access your work or are there firewalls, so to speak? Well, China has this thing called the Great Firewall. So um, my work is published on Insider or Business Insider. Meaning that a lot of the citizens in China, including my friends, have never read a single piece that I've put out. So, you know, even the people featured in the story only read the story because I sent screenshots to them and not because they're able to access it. Um, a lot of their news comes through the state media, which is um, known as Xinhua, mostly. Like, um, that's their Chinese state media. So um, I do not think that our work is reaching the Chinese people as much as we wish that it, it would. But of course, they have their own media ecosystem there. And I think it functions on very different rules from the ones that we operate on. Yeah, so to, to say the very least, to, to say the very least. So <laughs> I, I appreciate your candid answer. I appreciate you taking that question. Um, Cheryl, uh, in, in closing, I, I was touching on Bitcoin at the start of the show, our presenting sponsors, a Bitcoin company. And of course, Bitcoin's been in a free fall, uh, most notably after China cracked down on crypto and, and China, of course, uh, moving toward this digital yuan. Is, have you been I, I'm putting you on the spot here. I, I'm not even sure if you've been paying attention to this, but is this a story that you've been following? What are people talking about over there in the context of crypto and digital currencies? Thankfully, I've been following it, so you have not put me on a spot. Okay, good, good. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that what's happening in the Chinese crypto market is really interesting. I can't say that it's been stable in the U.S. as well because of what Elon Musk has been saying about them. The market's been going up and down. You have all these meme currencies coming out. And I think basically it's just going to be a huge effort to stabilize Bitcoin, um, especially when the Chinese government is cracking down on mines. And I think that they have a certain approach and a certain idea of what Bitcoin means to them. And um, the answer is they do not quite like it at the moment, to say the least. Um, I think that it will take time for it to gain some traction in the country. Um, these things tend to have runways and testing periods. And yeah, as with many introductions from the Western world into the Chinese market. Yeah. So, and, yeah. And, the, and then the Western world really keeping an eye mm -hmm. on the digital currency in China, the digital yuan. Like, I mean, people yes. certainly want to see the implications of that. Not necessarily 100% comparable, right? The digital currency and and Bitcoin, but certainly when you talk about the future of commerce, mm -hmm. the future of savings, yeah. the future of banking, the future of all of these, um, you know, people will, I mean, there's going to be a lot of, uh, China's obviously has an enormous global influence and we're seeing mm -hmm. it right now with Bitcoin and, and we'll see what happens with its own digital currency. Do you get the sense that, that the mainstream, I mean, again, we're talking about a billion and a half people, but, but is that a conversation digital currency that, that, you know, urban Chinese citizens are talking about that people in remote rural areas of China are perhaps excited about because many economic barriers 
commerce barriers may be removed for them? Unfortunately, I don't quite have the answer to that. We do have a lot of barriers to entry to access what people in rural areas are thinking about. But I do think that um, the government's position on crypto in China aside, there still is a fair amount of excitement in the major cities like Beijing and Shanghai, where people are interested in the idea and promise of crypto. Um, whether or not it actually takes off as a viable option in the country is an entirely different conversation to be had, and we'll probably not get the answer to it for a while. I think that it's going to be a period of flux rather than um, stability yeah. for now. Well said, Cheryl. It has been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. I'm grateful that you took time out of your day. Uh, Cheryl Tay is a, a journalist uh, based in Insider's Singapore Bureau, previously a journalist at the Crime and Consumer Desk at the Straits Times, the national paper in Singapore, and a researcher at the Institute of Southeast Asian Studies in Singapore. You can follow her on Twitter by checking out the tweet we send every morning before we go live on the show. Thank you for this. Thank you. Much appreciated. Fascinating stuff. The lying flat trend. I've been keeping an eye on the live chat as, as Cheryl's been talking and laying this out and talking about the societal implications, et cetera. And it's, it's amazing to hear real talkers, you know, I mean, essentially sharing how they've in a way embarked on or participated in or exhibited their own lying flat mm. trend in a way. I mean, we, maybe you would not call it that full out, but Haas says I gave up a traveling software gig in favor of quality of life 15 years ago says then i bought a harley says it was the best money i ever spent best decision i ever made Hmm. that from haas was talking to a buddy the other day harley goes by just so loud and he goes that is so loud and i go that's the point darren took a thirty-five thousand dollar a year pay cut left his career for another to get more time in life says there are still alternatives to lying flat time i uh there's a really great instagram account and it's called the nap ministry the nap ministry yes and it's all about uh rest and that we don't we glorify um that there is this glorification of work and you know uh push hard and achieve a lot and it's and that you have to earn your rest yeah and that the nap ministry is all about no you deserve a rest regardless of of you know if you've put in your eight hours that day or 10 hours or 12 hours um so i i follow it and every every once in a while i get that little reminder of like chill out hoyles chill out did you see this um i'll I'll reference reporting on the bbc uh, bbc bbc.com amazon offers wellness chambers oh geez did you hear about this it's amazing, like not in a good way. Okay. <laughs> Amazon offers wellness chamber for stressed staff. It's called the Mindful Practice Room. Amazon plans to put wellness chambers. Wellness chamber. That sounds like a, I would never step into that. You're never getting out of it. So that stressed <laughs> workers can sit inside. They're calling it Amazon. You can sit inside and you can watch videos about relaxation. It actually shared video on its Twitter account. I would love to show it to you, but it deleted the post. This is like three weeks ago after people were absolutely piling on. Well, if you need to have such a place, like maybe there's a, a bigger problem that we need to look at. Well, exactly. Like, listen, Jeez. like, so we, we care about our workers so much. 
And we're so concerned that people are wearing adult diapers at their workstations because they can't make the time or can't find the time. They don't have the time. They now, yeah, they're that not sounded given very judgmental. The they, they can't make the time. No, they're not given the time <laughs> mm-hmm. to have proper breaks. People have collapsed in, in some circumstances. People have died on the job. And now people are going to say, Ryan, you're being so dramatic. You know, that person had pre-existing. Com- there were comorbidities. Yeah. We don't care about deaths with comorbidities. But still, if you're in a position where as a company, there, there's a difference between having like a break room where, hey, listen, you know, we provide catering for lunches. This is all the dot com stuff, right? Remember foosball like table. Late, late 90s into the early 2000s, foosball tables, ping pong, leather couches, vending machines that you didn't have to plug coins into, maybe a chef on site, healthy meals provided by the company, maybe the lighting stem or even better, it's natural light in the room. There's that. And then there's here's the dark closet for you to go in. And I don't I'm not using stigmatizing language. I'm saying like literally if you're having a mental breakdown, if you're having a breakdown, if you're having a mental health crisis, here's a room you can go into. And by by the way, don't feel judged by all of your fellow employees. They're going to see you going into the room. Oh, good point. And sitting in there for however long you need to pull yourself together, but still probably stressed. You're going to get canned. And so you're going to come back. I mean, it just to me. That's a that's a the canary in the coal mine is not (laughs) napping. The canary is not napping. Sound the alarm. How about this from Adventure Cycling says I've given up on the corporate rat race. You only live once. You need to get out Mm. there and enjoy it. I'd rather live my life to the fullest on a bike. You saw that tweet the other day from Brad Fair. I love this. Yes. Check this out. So you know that I partnered with Sea Change Beer. The Jespo Pisco Sour. Has or, there's, there's, there's no the, by the way. It's just Jespo Pisco Sour. It's so not it's the. just like, it's just, oh you no, I was going right? to like, say like, it's like Yukon, but no, it's the Yukon. Yeah, well, depending on who you talk to. <laughs> so this from Brad the other day, who let us know that he took one of our tall cans on an adventure, says your beer, Jespo, went all over the Kananaskis today on an epic summer solstice ride, and I mean epic. So look at what this guy did. Look what Brad did. What a legend. First of all, he picked up a can of the, uh, at last report I heard, almost sold out. I don't know. People are still finding the odd four-pack places. but Wowee. I heard it was sold. I don't know. I'd want to say it's sold out if it's not yet sold out. But yeah. my understanding is that it's it's perilously close to being sold out. <laughs> Teetering on the edge. So Brad packs a Jespo Pisco Sour in his pack, and he hits the trails with uh, a cycling mate. Check this out. An absolutely epic ride, he says, through Kananaskis, beautiful southern Alberta. Cracked the cold one at some point along the way, logging 153.8 kilometers over six hours and 36 minutes, almost 154 kilometers with an average speed of 23 kilometers an hour, which is mind blowing. If you think about the fact that he would have been climbing as well, right? He, he's on the highway. It's not right. all, it's not all downhill. Trust me. I've looked for cycling routes where it's all downhill. They don't <laughs> exist. And per whatever app it is that he's using on his epic summer solstice adventure, Brad burned 5,035 calories. He could have brought like 30 beers with him. (laughs) He created a caloric deficit, as we call it. Yeah. Anyway, a shout out to Brad. We always love to know how you're taking real talk on the road, whether it's our beer 
Whether it's our T-shirts and ball caps, our merch, you can find at RyanJesperson.com or whether it's the podcast, where are you listening from? We always love to hear from you. You can use the hashtag RealTalkRJ to make sure you get our attention. In just a second, we're going to take a look at vaccines and the workplace. I know that this is relevant to literally millions of Canadians. Uh, we want to know. We're hoping that you know many of you will chime in either on the live chat or later in the day. Maybe even send us an email to talk at ryanjesperson.com. What's your workplace looking like? If you are, like W, the decision maker, what decision are you making and what's factoring into it? If you are the one who is impacted by other people's decisions, what does that look like? Are you providing input to your employers? Your employer soliciting that input? And all in, generally speaking, how safe do you feel going back to work? I mean, it's really amazing. If you look across the country right now with restrictions lifting, I mean, in Alberta in particular on July 1st, it's a big deal for a lot of people. I know folks are excited. Many people are very excited. The ban on indoor gatherings will be lifted. A controversial vote by Edmonton City Council, our home city. Some people outraged, some people encouraged. The the mask bylaw, the mandatory mask bylaw lifted. People, There is a return in a sense, a reopening. Some people are saying, what about the fourth wave? Other people are saying, hey, Alberta had like 56 new cases yesterday. I remember, Sam will remember when it was just the two of us. I mean, you remember I was putting these boards together. I'm asking you, hey, Sam, can we do the the update, the COVID-19 board? You remember we used to put those up every single day. There were days. They were were dreadful to put together. 1,900 new cases some days. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not pretending like COVID's over or the pandemic's over. The fact of the matter is, in a way, again, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a virologist. Don't tell your friends that Dr. Jesperson told you anything because he's my dad and he's retired. I'm just a talk show host. But COVID will always be here in a sense. It's why mm. vaccines are important. There, uh, people are fighting uh, for COVID zero, and it's admirable and important. But it's never going to be zero. There will be new cases. There mm-hmm. will still be outbreaks among including unvaccinated people. But the healthcare system will be able to respond to it, will be able to manage it if the majority of the population is vaccinated. So I know that some people are saying, I am not yet ready to go out. I mean, I saw some people on social media yesterday taking big runs at city councilors that had voted to lift the mask bylaw saying, you know, I mean, really dramatic stuff. If there's deaths from COVID, the blood is on your hands, these types of things. There are people that will say, personally, I just don't quite feel comfortable, which is a perfectly fine position to take. That's where I am, for sure. You know, and and, and that's perfectly fine. And some people that may factor in. It may not have anything to do with, you know, uh, social anxiety or the commute or the cost of parking. Why people don't want to go back into the workplace. For some people, it may just have, you know, maybe the fact that they just quite frankly don't feel comfortable right now. And employers will, I would imagine, respond in a way that, you know, they deem to be appropriate when it comes to retaining valuable staff. That conversation coming up in just a quick second. I wanted to to let you know how proud we are each and every Wednesday, of course, to present a feature in partnership with Tourism Jasper, a feature that we call My Jasper Memories. Right around nine o'clock mountain time on Wednesdays, we remind you that this incredible playground if you will these 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 beautiful beautiful vistas and hiking trails and camping spots exist just a few hours away from both of alberta's major urban centers 
We're talking about camping today, and, and I've been asking you for your favorite camping memories, and I encourage you to check in on my tweet this morning. You can follow me at Ryan Jesperson and, and, and post a favorite photo. I wanted to share some of these. When I think of camping in Jasper, my Jasper memory, I think of the Moose River route. It actually starts in, in, in Mount Robson Provincial Park, and then it wraps up in Jasper National Park. It's one of the most incredible adventures I've ever been on. These are my pals, Lozzie, Finner, and Bins a few years ago. So we're on the Moose River route. It's a, a grueling hike. It's a route, not a trail, but look at these flowers. If you're listening to the podcast, you have to check this out on YouTube. So we're coming through. It's near the end of the day. We're about on our last hour. We come over the crest of this hill, and a buddy goes, Bear. We look up. There she is. Look at that sow. There is nothing like the sight of a sow with cubs in the wild. Let me tell you, you can you can see that that not quite shale there, but you're, you're above the tree line. This is high alpine. We watched them make their way up, I presume, to their den near the end of the day. The sunlight's cascading down and the, and, and the, the slight grays on Mama's back were just, I mean, the sunlight was just piercing through, accentuating them. The muscular physique, the cubs running up ahead of her one dawdling behind. I'll never forget it. We decided after walking two, 300 more meters that that was just the perfect place to call it a day, to call it a night. The bears were on their way. We'd had a wonderful interaction. And so there we camped. There we camped. Just, this is, I'll call it 15 hours maybe past Berg Lake as a mile marker for those of you that are inclined to be out there in the great outdoors. That's a night I will never forget. We continued on the hike. Beautiful sights to see, including moose. Wouldn't be the Moose River route without them. And of course, amazing wildflowers. Check these out too. Absolutely stunning. That's my favorite camping memory when it comes to Jasper National Park. And we want to hear yours. want to remind you as well that after almost two years of renos, Whistler's is reopening out in Jasper. Almost 800 campsites just in time. A new registration center, all gender accessible washrooms, shower facilities, wider roads, improvements to campsites, new picnic tables, fire pits, upgraded water sewer, electrical for campers. A lot of the dead trees as well have been cleared out, which is great for a number of different reasons. So it's a a low cost accommodation option for families, which is really exciting. I want to refer you to Tourism Jasper's post. And, and again, I tweeted about it this morning, but, but you can check it out at jasper.travel. 20 things to do while camping in Jasper. And you can learn more about our partnership with Tourism Jasper by checking out jasper.travel slash real talk. Your favorite camping memories. Share them with us. We're going to hit the trails with you, so to speak. And I'd love to see those photos. We asked you how you feel about heading back to work in the context of of COVID-19 and vaccines. Should employers require proof of vaccination as part of a return to work policy? We've got just over 800 votes. Three out of four of you, 75% on the nose say require it. Dwayne Choman is a labor and employment lawyer representing a range of clients in public and private sector. He practices with Newman Thompson. Dennis Buchanan began his legal career in Ontario, an extensive background in labor and employment law, also civil litigation. He was called to the bar in Alberta in 2018, joining Nickerson, Roberts, Holinsky and Mercer. Uh, Dwayne and Dennis, welcome to the show. Appreciate you being here. Uh, Dwayne, why don't, why don't we begin with you? Do you have uh, I mean, do you have a, an immediate answer? If, if you and I are sipping on a scotch, we're sitting around a campfire and I say, should employers require proof of vaccination? Are you immediately going to tell me yes or no? 
No, I'm not. I'm going to say it's very contextual, Ryan. I know that's an answer that people love to have from lawyers, but in this case, it really is. You can't give a blanket yes or no. Let me tell you some of the factors you have to think about just briefly. The law differentiates between new hires and existing employees. The principles are a bit different in the union context versus the non-union context. There's a human rights component to it. You have to accommodate people with disabilities, different religious beliefs. You have to accommodate perhaps even family status. It may differ from industry to industry, Ryan. Uh, let me give you an example. Long-term care and health care, uh, packing houses, that may be very different than a survey company or a paving crew. It might be different than people on a golf course and groundskeepers. And as well, the, the law itself and the science is evolving and you have to keep current with it. So I wouldn't say this. I would say that in high-risk industries, yes, looking at a vaccination policy that allows for human rights principles, that accommodates those who need it, I think that that will make sense. I think in other industries, having that kind of a rule won't make any sense at all. And I think that in some other industries, some in the middle of those two extremes that I've given you, I think employers will want to look at what's called a VOM, or, or a, it's often called a VOM, or a vaccine or mask policy. So I think you're going to want to look at all of the circumstances, and I think that you're going to want to look at transitioning people in and, and making them comfortable. So, Dennis, we've, we've got some nuance there and, and obviously some different scenarios uh, that Dwayne put in front of us. Do you concur? Do you see it the same way? Uh, yeah, overwhelmingly, I see it very, very similarly that uh, it is in, incredibly contextual. I mean, the, the typical lawyer's answer of it depends. Be, yeah, people hate it, but it's very true, especially here. Um, <clears throat> the There are a lot of obligations that employers have in respect of maintaining a safe and healthy workplace. And in some scenarios, that may extend to mandatory vaccine, vaccine policies for, empl for employees who are actually physically in the workplace. Uh, in many scenarios, it may not. In many scenarios, there may, they may meet those obligations through other lesser means. I don't think that employers are yet in a situation where they can say, pandemic's over, we don't need to implement any safety practices to protect our workers from spread. And the reality is most employers don't want to. What I'm hearing from a lot of employers is they're worried about the possibility of, of, of an outbreak in their workplaces. And they don't know what that would mean. And they really want to prevent it because for a lot of them, they're just reopening or they're just getting back up to full capacity. So this is something that's on a lot of their minds in the sense that they, they just absolutely want to prevent it at all costs. Dwayne, does it make a difference if it's a, if it's a private business or not i mean i mean if, if, it, if it's a non-unionized private business it's own, it's family owned there's no shareholders i mean can an employer say it's my shop we're doing it the way i want to do it and if you're not vaccinated it's your choice i mean you can't walk through these doors so if you need to quit so be it but that's the rules and it's my business is it that simple or no 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 it not at all ryan um, let me explain why is in the employment context, 
that is the direct working relationship, the non-union environment, the concept that we're really interested in is, does this amount to a constructive dismissal? Is this a change of a substantial term? Now, an employer has an interest in keeping you safe and your coworkers safe. So let me look at your, your you're a small business, you're probably non-union, you probably go for lunch, you're not required to social distance, you can sit beside each other. Um, to then come to the workplace and say, you must vaccinate, I think that that would likely be viewed unfavorably by the courts. But in other circumstances, I can tell you it, it has. Now, I haven't seen a case from the courts themselves, but there is one from the Canada Labour Board, Buchanan's case, in her case, she was a practical licensed nurse in an ununionized workplace, a family shop, a big family shop, but a family shop. And she refused to get vaccinated for a, a flu vaccination. That's There's a wide range of cases on flu vaccinations. And in that case, the Canada Labour Board said that the termination was justified. So it varies again. I've thought often uh, of and, and, and recently in considering this, and I've been looking forward to speaking with both of you because I don't know the first thing about how, how the law works and I don't know how it may be litigated. Uh, but but Dennis, oftentimes th this audience knows that I'll go straight to hockey metaphors. And, and I think of the debate, the, the debate that has existed with mandatory visors in professional hockey. And I've seen people make the argument that the, that the NHLPA, the Players Association, the Players Union um, should be arguing on behalf of and advocating for the players that want to make their own personal choice when it comes to wearing a visor. And I've also seen people make a compelling argument that a union or a PA, uh, the entire mandate is to do what's best for the player to protect the player. So if we if we apply that thought and, and, and perhaps that that uh, dichotomy, if you will, to workplaces, uh, and, and in particular, unionized workplaces, you may say, well, the, the role of the union is to protect people that will argue you can't tell me to put something in my body. My union must protect me from a mandatory vaccine policy. You may have other people saying the role of the union is to protect me from the anti-vaxxers, from the people that aren't vaccinated. So, so how do you reconcile that? How does it actually play out in the courts? Well, we don't necessarily know how that'll play out in the courts, the labor boards quite yet, but... The you're right. The union's mandate is to do what's best for the bargaining unit on the whole. So they, they have to take a, a, a broader view of uh, what's going on in the workplace, of whether or not their members can be kept safe without a, a mandatory vaccination policy. Basically, different unions are going to be in different circumstances depending on the, the particulars of the workplace. Um, in a lot of in some contexts, I would I would guess that unions will likely be open to mandatory VOM policies, or some unions may be, because some of their workers may rely on it. Some of their workers may be vulnerable. Some of their workers may not be able to vaccinate at all. They may be medically unable to for whatever reason, and so. To have a couple of other workers saying, well, my individual rights should should trump the best needs of the bargaining unit on the whole, that's not consistent generally with the mandate of the union. On the other hand, if the union takes the view that, 
we think that this workplace can be properly served by lesser measures than mandatory vaccinations, then, then the unions will fight to say, no, we don't think that a, that a mandatory vaccination policy is appropriate in this context. We don't think that is necessary in this context. We don't think it's reasonable for our members to be required to, to, to give that medical consent. So, again, very contextual. This is an interesting comment here from Nicole says our workplace um, is not asking anybody to be vaccinated, but they've said that they won't pay people if they have to uh, quarantine or isolate if they aren't. Uh, And I've got other people asking, you know, Dwayne, for example, well, well, if you're doing this VOM, right, vaccine or mask, how do people know? I mean, are we obligated? Is, Is anybody obligated to provide proof a vaccination is that private health information where does protection of privacy come in here well, that's a really good question the privacy question is really up front and i have to tell you um i think that the law is a little bit unsettled around that and let me give you an example at least in alberta the privacy commissioner has issued a joint statement a number of them have come together and that they've, the privacy commissioner has said that in order to demand proof of vaccinations, it's necessary for the employer to prove that they have to have it to achieve the public health outcome that they're seeking. That's the first criteria, that it's reasonably effective and that it's proportionate. And they've kind of cautioned against it. And I have to say to you, I'm not sure that Uh, they're up to date. For instance, the statement says that at this point, there's insufficient proof that vaccinations prevent the the spread of the illness. So I have to tell you, I think that employers can do it. There's a decision in Alberta by Lyle Caney, very respective arbitrator, who says, if you're going to have a workplace that has a mandatory rule for a good public health reason, long term care, let's use it. Um, You can't rely on the word of people and that you can ask for the proof. And I think that that makes sense. I also just want to comment briefly, Ryan, on Dennis's point. What will will unions do? Uh, There's a whole series of vaccination cases. They arise in the flu context. And unions have challenged over and over these kinds of public health measures. And they've done so, I presume, because they're concerned about a, a duty of fair representation complaint. They have a griever and they want to uh, deal with them. And so I think you will see unions talking out of both sides of your mouth, pushing Safeway to have masking now. But when the vaccination roll comes, I'll be interested to see what their position is. Consistency is not a strong suit in the trade union movement. Hmm. Is that a, is that a fair comment, Dennis? Well, uh, what I, what I will say is that there are all stripes of unions. Um, I, I'm not. I'm not going to necessarily agree with Dwayne's observation there, but I, I will say yes. Many unions will fight against mandatory vaccination policies, um, but I also I, I'm also confident that there are some in certain contexts that likely w- wouldn't. So I, I mean, I'm not going to speak for any particular union at this at this time, but it's. Uh, we are going to see that litigation. I have no question. What right does, uh, and I'll ask both of you this, uh, maybe Dennis, I'll start with you and then we'll go back to Dwayne. What what right does a worker have? Does an employee have, um, if they don't agree with their workplace policy, no matter what direction it goes in, if you're refusing to get a vaccine and they're requiring one, 
Or if you are vaccinated, you want your colleagues to be and they're not required to be. What options do people have here? I mean, I guess you're probably going to say it depends if they're in a union or not. But but why don't you get the ball rolling on us so people can understand maybe in both contexts? Okay, so within the union context, basically, it's a fight to be had between the union and the employer. And however that plays out, uh, the, the employee is unlikely to have a whole lot of recourse or remedies outside of that union employer dynamic. Uh, the exception would be for human rights context, which Dwayne touched on before. Like if, if an employee does have a medical or religious prohibition on getting that vaccine, then they're entitled to accommodation up to, up to a point. Um, <clears throat> outside of the union context, it's a trickier question. Um, so if the employer implements that mandate, then they may be able to say, no, I'm, I'm not going to do it. And then the question is, what does the employer do about it? Does the employer have grounds to discipline that employee for insubordination and ultimately potentially terminate that employee? Uh, maybe. But uh, again, this is a question that's, that's likely to work its way through the courts at some point. My view is that employers probably aren't entitled to terminate for cause on that basis. So, I mean, I think that that gets us into a very difficult scenario of what does the employer do about it? Uh, the, the other side of the question that you asked is, uh, uh, what do the coworkers do? Like if, if, you, if you're vaccinated, you want your coworkers to be vaccinated, but the employer isn't requiring them to be vaccinated. Um, Firstly, goes, I was mentioning earlier the duty to maintain a safe and healthy workplace. Well, so the employer does have those obligations as well. There's another human rights question on this side of it as well, in the sense that if an employee is particularly vulnerable for whatever reason, like for, for a disability-related reason, for instance, then they may be entitled to accommodation from the employer in the sense of asking the employer to not subject them to unreasonable risk of, of infection. And so that is, that's a complicated question. I guess it's just some very complicated frameworks in terms of what the employer's options are and you know, how they can accommodate that perhaps without necessarily implementing a mandatory vaccine policy or uh, um, yeah, what other safe measures they can put in place to keep those vulnerable employees safe. Dwayne, are employers or potential employers uh, entitled to do, do employers, potential employers have the green light to ask about vaccination status in job interviews? Uh, pre-employment is an entirely different kettle of fish. You can make it a mandatory condition of employment, both for union and non-union, in my opinion. Really? So you can yeah. say you. OK, oh, interesting. So if I got hired, if I was hired by the company a year and a half ago, um, I'm essentially I have grandfathered personal rights in a sense. I'm probably using the wrong language, but grandfathered rights to make my own choice on my vaccine. Whereas if I'm applying for employment, the employer can unabashedly say, if you're not vaccinated, you don't come through these doors. Yeah. And require proof, just like a criminal check, in my opinion. Interesting. I wonder if no. I know I'm starting to wonder if employers lay off their entire workforce and hire them back under the condition that they're vaccinated. Could you see something like that happening or is is that ludicrous? 
I don't think that practically that would happen, but theoretically on a law school exam, it could. You could terminate everybody on notice and, and, uh, and then rehire who you want. Sure. Yeah. I, you never know. As long as Real Talk gets cited, I'm totally fine with that. And, and, and we'll see what the brightest law students in the country have to say about it. Uh, let, let, me ask, let me say yeah, this. Please. Let me say that question. And in a, sometime an employer may do that. And that's what keeps my kids teeth straight. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. You guys are guaranteeing your existence right now by reminding people they should be getting legal consultation on, on all matters at all time. Right. But what about this? This is a great point from CB. Uh, CB's following uh, along on our conversation, uh, checking in and engaging with our Twitter account says, you know, hey, in return. Right. We're asking should employers require proof. Uh, CB says in return, employers should be required to provide any requested PPE, personal protective equipment, and fully upgrade their mechanical services, even provide monthly air quality reports to all employees. They should be required to sanitize twice weekly and provide employees with documentation of such. Now, I don't know if companies are getting on board with providing monthly air quality reports to the people in the mailroom, but Dwayne, is CB on to something there? What obligation falls on the employer? I love CB. I follow CB on Twitter. <laughs> but I think CB's gone too far on that. Let me say this. As an employer has an obligation to maintain a safe workplace, in some cases that's going to involve the distribution of um, PPE. In some cases it's going to require uh, ventilation systems and perhaps even upgrading. But it's not a blanket requirement. It's not something that they're going to have to report to the employees about. They can. Um, but I don't think they'll have a legal obligation to do that. What do you think, Dennis? I'm, I'm aligned there. I, I think that, again, the employer does have certain obligations. It, it's not going to be universal. Employers have to provide whatever PPE the employee may request, but they probably do have to provide whatever PPE may be reasonable under the circumstances. Um, and, and the same with ugh, accounting to employees for air quality is probably going too far. I mean, you probably do need to keep your employees in the loop in terms of the steps you are taking to maintain that safe and healthy work environment. You, it's a good idea anyway. You want your employees to be comfortable and feel safe in the workplace. So uh, again, yeah, air quality reports may be a bridge too far, but um, and it, it's not a matter of giving the employees whatever they ask for, but there is some give and take here yeah and, and and i mean and then i mean it's it's worth pointing out we're talking to two experienced labor lawyers uh, you know there can be you know conversation about conversations about what is required by law or the legal implications and then there's just the common sense conversation around what can employers do to be proactive to 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 instill a sense of confidence in their employees that the proper steps are being taken to keep their employees happy uh, job retention etc cetera, etc cetera. i mean th these are two different conversations but related too right Dwayne? i mean i guess we can we can also sure. have a conversation about i mean how do how do workplaces change generally speaking that don't have to tie into the the legal practice yeah, let me give you an example in our office, and it's about employee engagement, and I think that's very important. Um, in our office, you know, July 1st, technically, we will likely be able to take off the mask requirement. We don't intend to do that. Uh, we're looking at September, uh, and the reason is, is we're also looking at bringing people back in September. But what we're doing is encouraging them through July, August uh, to come back 
in the interim. And as part of that, we're trying to show them that this is going to be a safe place to ease you back in and get you into the group. And the reason is, is we have people with health conditions, uh, different levels of discomfort around this. You've probably seen that, Ryan. Some people are very fearful. Some have been going to restaurants throughout. uh, And some people are in the middle. And so what we're trying to do is create a comfortable environment that accommodates everyone. And I think that that's always a good idea if you want employee engagement. 100% agree. Dennis, do you see, I mean, are there, are you having a similar conversation or taking similar steps in your own workplace? Or do you, are you noting trends or foreseeing trends when it comes to that outside of necessarily the legal purview, just what companies and employees are doing to, to work together and instill that confidence? Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of that. It's, um, a lot of employers are, are struggling a little bit in terms of uh, how do we bring people back? Do we bring everyone back? Um, <clears throat> do we continue having some people work from home indefinitely, maintain a, a lower density in the office on a longer term basis? It's definitely a conversation a lot of employers are having. Um, <clears throat> and a, again, it looks like with with the kind of hard release we're looking at on any sort of restrictions, I think a lot of employers are likely looking at um, what they do voluntarily, even though maybe they don't actually have to, in order to maintain that safe workplace and in order to make sure that their employees do continue to feel safe and comfortable coming to work. And I mean, there are legal obligations that play into that as well. It's not just the fact, it's not simply the case that, oh, the restrictions are gone. So, I mean, as I said earlier, I don't think employers can pretend that COVID is over. It's not, and it will continue to be a factor that that affects workplaces. But I think that employers must and generally are looking at what they can reasonably do to, to keep their workforce safe. I've got so many people noting it as the two of you had that, that a lot of this will remain to be settled in the courts. And, and maybe you get one high profile case that can sort of set a precedent. Um, have, have either of you seen in closing here and I, and I am putting you on the spot. Um, have you seen, or has there been a legal precedent established a case that's caught your interest at some point in the last year or so related to COVID-19 that you, you think will change the employee-employer dynamic or change workplaces? Do we have a, a precedent that's been established to this point? Uh, Dennis, you want to take it first? Um, I'm going to say not yet. There are a few cases coming out of COVID layoffs, um, <clears throat> that, that sort of issue. There are a few decisions already coming out on that subject, dealing with employee rights following that um, particularly there are a couple in Ontario that go in completely different directions on it it's, so I mean we're seeing some interesting um, case law play out already on that front uh, and I think there's going to be a lot more to come on that and I think it's, it, it raises some really interesting and unusual and new questions about constructive dismissal law uh, and I, I think that we're going to continue to see a lot of a lot of evolution in the law on all on all sorts of fronts coming out of coming out of COVID I mean I, I think there's the yeah, there are a lot of different legal questions that are addressed by COVID or that are engaged by COVID that are, are new or at least engaged in new ways that I think I, I think we're going to end up seeing a lot of evolution, but we're not seeing it quite yet because it's just still too early. Dwayne, how about you? Uh, the cases so far have been uh, a bit mixed, largely in favor of COVID type concern is what I'll call it. But I will say there's a long history of jurisprudence in this area. For heaven's sakes, Ryan, there's an old, not that old, but a case out of Ontario 
that said it isn't proven that masks are effective. <laughs> um, but I, I think that it'll be tested. It'll be tested very quickly. It'll likely be tested in the long-term care area. I have to say the poor operators, it's such a tough business and, and they're going to be the guinea pigs for this. But it'll come up fairly quickly. It'll come up likely in the union context. And I think that uh, the cases will probably tend to be more favorable than they have been in the TB and flu cases. I, I just think there's a, a recognition that this illness and the public health initiative really created an imperative that it was important that safety be the primary consideration. When you say cases will be more favorable, for whom? Always employers, right? <laughs> At least you're honest. At least you're honest. I represent employers. Yeah. I said, yeah, there, there's always good judgments in court. It just depends who it's a good judgment for, right? That's I, the, I only remember my losses. I, people, as people say, you won this case, I can never remember them. Is that right? You'd rather, you'd rather sit and lick your wounds than taste the victories? Are you serious? Um, Every win was a bitter defeat. Hey, before I, before I let you both go, Dwayne, there's, there's a recurring question popping up on our live chat wondering what your twitter handle citizen 004 is is a reference to what's that a reference to um snowden was citizen four and so i was the james bond of citizen force <laughs> okay well that answers it what i saw at least one real talker speculate it was a snowden reference and so i think it was james that gets two points for that unfortunately for james uh points awarded on real talker absolutely meaningless and go towards absolutely nothing so uh Dwayne choman an employment lawyer uh labor deployment with newman thompson dennis buchanan uh with nickerson roberts holinsky and mercer we really appreciate both of your time thanks so much for this thanks pleasure, so, Ryan. love your show first time on this forum and it's a great platform right well uh, Dwayne, it's great to reconnect with you and we look forward to having both of you back the door is always open uh Dwayne and i have a long history going back talking legal matters uh on on a previous show that i used to host you may have read about it so an interesting conversation there uh i i'm i'm i don't know that there was anything that was absolutely surprising i was intrigued to learn that employers can uh, potential employers can can require vaccination for employment during hiring process during yeah. a hiring process you can require whatever you want it sounds like yeah um but even with a private non-unionized workplace you would think like it's like you know john's plumbing or you know oh my gosh i was just about to say sally's bake shop and then you would say really john gets to be a plumber and sally gets to be a baker i'm i was not going to say anything at i'm john's glad that bake you shop, are so woke i'm so woke sarah that at john's bake shop and sally's plumbing even if they own the business 100 they're the employee you know they they call the shots they make the rules um you still cannot impose policy well you can try yeah you can try and i would imagine that a lot of players a lot a lot of employers will like these two fellas i really appreciate them coming on and and they they gift us their time to come on this show but i suspect that to talk to them is several hundred dollars an hour so you may say well yeah you should talk to a labor lawyer which many people would say yeah that's great but i'm not sure when am i going to do that when am i going to take the time off work take the bus to their office i don't know what their hourly rates are but they're you know they're experienced lawyers so they're probably relatively high Generally speaking, although they would probably argue that it's well worth the expenditure, you get my point. A lot of people are not going to fight this in court. A lot of people are probably going to comply. I'd be curious to know if anybody's going to plant the flag and walk away from their job because they're being required to get vaccinated and they refuse to do it. 
I'd be curious to know if that's going to happen. I mean, there are people writing in right now. Uh, Rose says, gosh, Rose says, gosh, I have to leave, but I don't want to. I mean, the good news, Rose, is you can always come back and watch it. Listen to it later in the day. Mm-hmm. Sorry to see you go. She says, give James a beer for his question. You know what we're going to do is at the, at the first annual. What, what's it going to be called? The, the, the Real Talk Raucous Block Party or Kegorama or we're, we're going to have like. Well, we're, let's workshop, we'll workshop, workshop it a bit. Yeah, yeah. maybe maybe not. Are, is that like a subtle suggestion from my team members that we don't do it live on the air? Is that you don't want to workshop it live on the air? And our first we've come big, up with some really good stuff. Great suggestions. We've got we've got our invite list of, of featured performers and contributors and caterers and brewers. And it's going to be wonderful. Uh, maybe at that first one, we could get everybody up with like, I don't know what the real talk equivalent of a shot ski would be. Is everyone here familiar with a shot ski? Um, you know, for those of you that don't, you, you essentially take a big drill bit, you pound it through an old ski, water ski, snow ski. Really, the options are endless as long as it's a ski. Um, you want to use the proper bit. And so it'll fit a shot glass. And then you can have four people shoulder to shoulder to shoulder to shoulder. And they all take the shot at the same time. And it's a real beautiful expression of community is what it is. And maybe we can do maybe we can do like Nick is suggesting the real talk block party. Um, real block, real block. Anyway, um, and then maybe we can do keep like going, keep for, going for Don't everyone, stop. for everyone that has been awarded points on the show. Please now come forward and we'll do the, the real talk shot skis together. Maybe even if it's after COVID, we won't even replace the shot glasses between rounds. Can you like that to me Maybe is we'll, wild. The fact that, yeah, we that all we're going to do. That's it, what happened. That's what happened. We're just going to go and we're going to we're going to dip the shot glasses in fireball to kill everything. Oh, right. Yeah. Right. And then we'll refill them. And then the next round. Uh, yes, Ryan, I, I received two points on uh, it was the June 23rd show. I had commented on Edward Snowden. I'll say, James, I'll take your word for it. Step on up and take your shot ski. This is sort of how we're I envision have, it. We're going to need a liquor uh, sponsor just because everyone's going to claim points. Well, everybody. Y- yes. And I mean, you know, this is kind of like the uh, this is kind of the green light there is what we're giving you. <laughs> That's the big old wink and nudge. We'll okay. also need to have security guards at this gathering and there will be plenty of non-alcoholic beverages for the teetotalers uh james is already chiming back in fresh off his two-point win uh in all caps uh proclaiming chanting if you will on the live chat shot skis shot skis shot terry all caps fireball uh you want to get in do you want me to ruin fireball for you forever my brother did this to me jonas uh i used to quite enjoy fireball it was actually my birdie juice it was my birdie juice of choice on the golf course okay i would always carry fireball and and convenient little stainless steel shot glasses for all four golfers in the foursome okay first birdie hopefully hole one that never happens i would hand out the the stainless steel shot glasses i'd say hold on to this for the full 18 and every time there's a birdie you top it up until my brother jonas one day says you know that there's like a significant overlap between the ingredients in fireball and the ingredients in washer fluid and antifreeze. And I was like, what? He's like, no, look it up. And I was like, well, thanks. And so I'm sitting at this, like looking at this 40 of fireball and I'm like, so that's basically antifreeze. Is that what this is? But I mean, if I'm them, I just capitalize on that. Right. It's, it's human antifreeze, right? Feeling chilly fireball. It can be a verb, right? So that'll be at the big block party. Mark B and SLC chiming in from the great state of Utah says our tailgate group does a fireball shot after every Utah touchdown during away games at our friend's house. 
Baja Rosa was ruined for me forever in the province of Saskatchewan and a good morning to everybody in Saskatchewan chiming in. I once attended a gathering, a Thanksgiving, a Thanksgiving gathering around a, a, a wonderful dinner table. I'll never forget the experience. We went out and and bagged the appetizers, a couple of grouse, and then had a beautiful turkey dinner. I'll never forget it. The riders were playing the bombers and the game was coming in on the AM radio and we're sitting in this old farmhouse. And I'm like, this is how they've been listening to riders games for decades. And it turns out their tradition Every rider's touchdown is to drink a shot of Baja Rosa. I don't know if you're familiar with this beverage or not, but it's a creamy, that creamy one. Yeah, it's a creamy. Your facial expression is exactly nailing my entire experience that day. It's like, do you think that it's essentially taking um, so there's OK, there's milk, there's chocolate milk. Have you ever had the strawberry milk? Yes. It's like it's like strawberry milk and cheap tequila Ugh. and it's mixed together. It's it, it it almost it's and when you drink it at room temperature it is <laughs> oh, gross. no bueno no bueno and uh, but I participated as a house guest and unfortunately the riders were absolutely lighting up the bombers that day and so the bottle was gone in short order thank God it was finally done um, and I've have not had a sip of Baja Rosa since. So that's a little story that nobody asked for. One, yeah, I have two questions. And you probably may, have more than two. Uh, yeah. One is, I'm interested in how you say Saskatchewan. Saskatchewan? You, say, you were saying Saskatchewan. Saskatchewan. And I say Saskatchewan. Oh, okay. Got it. Well, I probably switched back and forth. I'm just interested. I know it's spelled. Saskatchewan. Saskatchewan. I know Saskatchewan. it's spelled. Saskatchewan. I think I say Juan. Saskatchewan. I think maybe I was like I was kind of getting in the mindset of the of maybe the the old farmhouse and shooting grouse and yeah. I, I was not the trigger man on that surprise surprise surprise. My other question I is I was probably like get a photo of the <laughs> <laughs> oh that's probably <laughs> my other question is teetotaler yes I I wonder what if people that are that don't drink I wonder do they like that term teetotaler. I'm just I'm I'm curious. Why wouldn't they? I I just I want because it it kind of sounds like they're they're counting and they're watching and they're like, are you drinking? Am I drinking? Are you drink? What are you drinking? I don't uh, know. I'm, I'm just I'm just curious. I don't I don't know. You, you just okay. I have yeah. no I mean, idea. I, I've always thought with the term teetotaler, just off the top of my head, um, it originated with a man named Turner. Uh, who is a member of the Preston Temperance Society. Right. Yeah, just 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 freewheeling here off the top of my head yeah. based on my memory. Um, and uh, Turner, uh, having an impediment of speech and addressing a meeting, remarked that partial abstinence from intoxicating liquors would not do. Wow. And as Turner, with a speech impediment, announced they must, in, this is how it's written, on the World Wide Web, they must insist upon total abstinence. In other words, he stammered as part of a speech impediment. total abstinence. Today, Junior, right? And so that's apparently, they say, where the term teetotaler came from. Very interesting. Very interesting. Very interesting. Sam, you look like you want to chime in, and I'm trying to determine off the top of my head. I'm trying to guess based on your body language whether it has to do with the phrase teetotaling or mixing milk and alcohol or something else. It was something else. 
Um, mixing milk and alcohol in, in the right circumstances. I mean, everybody's seen me shill for uh, Hanson's salted caramel before, and that stuff is delicious. Very, um, yes, and, or just even bigger picture, the big Lebowski and his white Russians. Of course. There will uh, always, bigger picture. Bigger picture. <laughs> there will always be room for white Russians in my world. No, uh, I was thinking about, uh, in, in the terms of the Saskatchewan versus Saskatchewan, Toronto versus Toronto. What about Calgary versus Calgary? Yeah. It is not people, Calgary. People from outside it is Alberta not Calgary. Calgary. Well, yeah, but people from outside Alberta can pound sand on how they pronounce Calgary. I'll tell my partner that. You know that. Well, you just you know that if you say Calgary, you are not from, from Calgary. Here. Yeah, it's yeah. Calgary. It's the Calgary Flames, the Calgary Tower and the Calgary variant at the Calgary Stampede. <laughs> That's how you pronounce it. Hey, May I show you something absolutely beautiful? It's going to be coming up in about 45 seconds from now. Before I do, let me remind you that the team at Westworld Computers, this is what we do. You kind of step in one and then you just go hot into ads. The team at Westworld Computers agrees with absolutely everything I say. And they also keep this studio powered each and every day. That's right. The rigs that are running Real Talk, we got them from Westworld. Daryl, his family, they've been running this business for more than 40 years. Their team of technicians have seen it all. You can book your service call today at westworld.ca. It's also where you can check out their inventory. They'll ship anywhere in Canada. Check out westworld.ca for your home, for your business, or both. The team at Dairy Queen wanted me to remind you that, that right now they've got some burger deals. Two single cheeseburgers for five bucks. Two for five bucks or two double cheeseburgers for seven bucks. These are the 100% all beef patties topped with processed cheddar cheese, pickles, ketchup, mustard, served on a warm toasted bun. And my little man, Wyatt Rudy, wanted me to remind all of you that they've got ice cream too rich hot fudge the dairy queens of northwest edmonton and sherwood park you'll find them at nemeo palisades newcastle westmount y gardens and baseline road also big shout out to the team at grand dog essentials quality raw food it's what we feed our dogs it's what we feed our four-legged family members the quality raw food that's been we can't technically use the word prescribed, but that's really what it is. They're nutritional experts. Their team has consulted with us. We've tried a couple of things for both of our dogs who have issues with their guts. Both of them have never looked healthier. That's what the team at Grand Dog does. They solve problems. They also deliver that quality raw food to your door in Calgary, Edmonton, and Central Alberta. Use the promo code REALTALK for 10% off your first time order at Grand Dog. .ca. That's Grand Dog Quality Raw Food. Got a lot of people talking about drinking. You know what? I, I love these types of conversations where people, you know, people say someone the other day said to me when I was promoting and joyously promoting with great excitement, uh, the Jespo Pisco Sour from Sea Change Brewing Company. As you should. Yeah, of course. And I don't apologize for it. I never will. And but I also that doesn't mean I can't be aware of other people's challenges and sensitive to it. Mm. Right. You know, I, I didn't respond to the person. As a matter of fact, I'm 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 still counting until I respond to them because it was a bit of a sort of a well, it was a hard message mm. um but the person said you know it's, it's it's really sad to me that real talk that it requires alcohol to have real talk and i sort of thought well that's a bit of a strange comment because we don't booze it 
on the show, but but I understand for someone that grew up in a home where alcohol was a real problem, uh, for someone that's been subjected to abuse, for someone whose loved one was killed by a drunk driver, uh, there are many reasons. And and I and I appreciate these conversations on the live chat where you know some people are talking about their relationship with alcohol, and I think that these conversations are so important. It is very, I mean, it's true. You know, Crazy James chimes in and says, "I realize in high school I could very easily have a big problem." Uh, he says, so, so basically, it, James says, even before conversations about my meds came into the mix, I had already quit drinking. Mm. Right. And, and people have many reasons why they make their decisions. Um, Haas, I gave up drinking when I realized weed doesn't cause hangovers. Very true. Um, but alcohol is so and I'm and, and I'm happy to acknowledge this because it's true. Alcohol is so normalized absolutely in our society isn't it like you show up to the real talk block party there's gonna be shot skis beers whiskeys maybe we'll have some food so there's something to soak it all in but really that's how we talk right can you imagine if we treated other substances the same way conversations about supervised consumption sites for example a lot of people will push back i bet you some people are tweeting about their disdain for supervised consumption sites literally sitting on their bar stool Mm -hmm. right on their fourth johnny walker uh, we don't talk about different substances in the same way, and we don't normalize sobriety or teetotaling <laughs> like we do, like we do alcohol. Like if someone says I'm not drinking, people feel entitled to ask why, right? Or Absolutely. people 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 think that oh really? What's going? Or are you pregnant? Are you sick? Are you trying to lose weight? Or do you have a problem? What's what's yeah. the reason? What, why? What, what's up with that? Why, why why aren't you drinking? I I mean. I don't drink. Um, And so I will just flag for everybody that Ryan has done this amazing job. There is the beer fridge, but there is, I've got a shelf and a half. It's actually, there's a creep. There's a slight. It started with a half shelf. It started with a half shelf and it's it's starting to creep. All my soda water. I have a lot of selection of soda water. There's a lot of selection. Lots. Um, I'm waiting for Sam to push back. If, If beer concedes any more real estate in that fridge, we're gonna have to, we might have, what we might have to do is bring in a second fridge. I'm a okay with that. <laughs> like my go-to drink when I'm just hanging out at home is a soda water with lime in it. So I'm on board with the soda water. Yeah, I get it. Go. Yeah. But um, yeah, the, definitely I get that question, you know, and it, it's kind of, it's really interesting to, to be like, oh, so I'm supposed to just divulge. Yeah. And also like, is it your business to be asking me why I don't drink? Hmm. I mean, maybe it's an allergy. Maybe it's a religious reason. Maybe it's, um, you know, maybe that there was an issue earlier on in my life. I mean, do you, it's kind of like, I mean, in a way it's like, how are you? It's the, how are you question? You're like, you don't actually want an answer, but I also feel like it's also sometimes reflective of the other person. I remember a, a an interaction at a former workplace where I asked a colleague how they were doing in passing. <laughs> And then he gave me a real answer. Oh, no. But it was amazing. You were able to receive it? You were able to? Yeah, I was able to receive it. But I realized later, I sort of admonished myself in a way uh, for for recognizing that exact thing, which is that I asked without, and I won't say I asked without caring, because that's not true. Right. Um, But I asked without uh, expecting that there would be a legitimate, meaningful answer. How you doing? How you doing? How you doing? Right. I was like, how are you doing? He's like, I'm really struggling. Oh, wow. And I just hammered on the brakes. We were walking and, and hammered on the brakes. And I was like, what's up? And he was honest about something he was struggling with. And we had this incredible interaction. And uh, 
You know, I hope that it meant something to him. I know that it meant something to me. I, I said to him after the fact, this was years ago, but I said, I so appreciate you giving a real answer to what in some cases can be somewhat of a pithy or passing question, an, ins- an insincere question. Yeah. Right? Well, it's a, it's a hello. It's a salutation more than it's a, uh, a question. Yeah. It's true. It's true. Air I said, Straya uh, uh, says, uh, I can't drink because I have an allergy. Mm. Um, so I don't actually like being referred to as a teetotaler uh, because of that connotation. Fatima heard the explanation of where it came from. She goes, well, that's a gross origin. <laughs> True. I'm going to be that guy. I'm going to be the, 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 the like old guy on Twitter that's like just keeping a running tally of words that we can't say anymore. Well, oh, teetotaler, teetotaler. What am I supposed to say now? Sober's not a bad word, is it? No. People celebrate sobriety. I saw that. I saw that somebody celebrated uh, a friend of mine celebrated their seventh sober anniversary yesterday. I was really proud of them. That's a big deal. Hope says it makes me sound like a dull girl i am not dull but i don't drink yeah a lot of people chiming in arnold palmer says teetotaler here hoyles we don't care Ar- what see, is the I- arnold palmer the arnold oh palmer my God, is the, the arnold palmer it's iced tea and lemonade isn't it it is life-changing is it that good that seems to oh be my like, gosh shirley temples yeah and arnold Pal- i can like, i always have to like really concentrate when i say arnold palmer if yeah. you really enunciate yes they are so delicious my first one i ever had my nephew we were at uh, jasper park lodge and he was like i'll have an owner oh, see there you go arnold palmer please and yeah. i was like what what's that and he was like his eyes bugged out and was like, you've never tried that. So he got me one. And uh, now I buy my own ingredients so I can make. A you Arnold make them from scratch uh, at home. Like you yeah. do from scratch iced tea. Oh no. From scratch. No, oh. the, the powder. Come on. Oh, geez. so you buy your own ingredients. So you buy two powder packets <laughs> and you combine them with four liters. Homemade. Of water. Wow. Well, yeah, but I'm then you also rustic. get twice as much. You yeah. get twice as much. My, my dad back in the day used to do, there's like a whole process of, of doing uh, iced tea, like the, the legit old school way. Right, yeah. Big mason jars, black tea, out in the sun on purpose. Maybe look on it up purpose. before you take my, because I, I think that he probably had some, sci- he's a scientist, my dad, so he, had a, he probably had an understanding of when it may start to turn, if that would even happen, and was aware of it. It's like people, you know what it's kind of like in a way? It's like people that are like, who would like to try my homemade kombucha? <laughs> eh. Hard pass. <laughs> eh. I lifted up a rock outside and found these, you oh, know, geez. threw them in a jar, added some whatever you know. I mean, kombucha has its place, I'm sure. I can't get past. Once you find out, it's like sausage or anything else. Once you find out how it's made, it's just... I know a lot of people are big on kombucha. Oh, huge. Isn't there like a mother? Yeah, well, it's like sourdough. Yeah. It's like, I mean, it's not. I mean, I don't know what I'm talking about, but people, people, I'm sure that, you know, people will let us know through the day as they check out the podcast. But it's like there's a thing that lives. And have you ever looked at it? It looks like a it looks like a tumor that would be taken out of your body. Like if 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 you know, there's the, the average person that either has their finger, they have like their finger amputated or they have a cyst taken out or they have something removed and then it's like in a jar of formaldehyde or something else and Jeez. they and they, they bring it home. You know these folks. These you know, these types of people. I mean, I got my gallbladder removed and I wanted to see my gallstones. Did you okay, so did you see them? No, because they were like, Well, we just 
we keep them all together. We put them all together in a jar. Oh, and I was you, like, they keep them all together. Like who, who's that twisted individual <laughs> yeah. that's overseeing that? So I don't know that there would be a huge difference in appearance of that big jar of gallstones <laughs> and, and a, and a homemade kombucha op. I don't know that there would be You're much gonna difference. You're going to get so much hate mail right now. There's going to be talk at ryanjesperson.com. It's I have blow up. I have friends that work in kombucha and they are their business is booming. And so they will say to me, "We're not concerned about what you have to say about this. <laughs> We're doing just fine, thank you." And I'm sure that there are gut health implications to kombucha and everything else, but I just when I see that thing, it's like a I'm going to lose. I don't remember which is the amoeba and which is the paramecium, but I think it's like kombucha, the the, the mother or the star, whatever you call it. Yeah, it, it looks like a massive. It looks like a massive overgrown kind of. It looks like a 1980s. I mean, it looks like what E.T. would bring with him to Earth. Like this is my, you know, I it's maybe just, he did. Maybe he did. Trisha actually bringing science to the mix says it's symbiotic culture of bacteria and yeast. Tiana, it puts me in an uncomfortable position. She's backing me into a corner, which is totally fine. She says, like, does Ryan eat yogurt or nah? I don't want to start thinking about this. I don't want to actually. <laughs> I don't want to actually have to. Tiana, like, I don't want to actually have to reconcile my inconsistencies. <laughs> James says you better get ready for a whole bunch of medical grossness to be sent your way on Twitter. That's fine. It can replace the political grossness that's typically sent my way on a daily basis. Kim's 15 year old got a kombucha baby like a kombucha baby for her birthday. She says from my sister. Kim says so gross. It's in the cupboard right now, but she made some good drinks. If you like that kind of a thing. Okay. Let's find out if our next I don't know if our next guest is a kombucha guy or not. I do know that he's wildly entertaining. I'm thrilled that he's made time to join us here on the show. He is a columnist read from coast to coast to coast in the National Post. My good friend Tristan Hopper. Welcome back to the show, my man. Good to be here. This is, uh, you know, clearly the best show in Canada and I'm on all of them. Thank you. Yeah, well, I'm glad that you recognize that. Sometimes we figure it goes without saying, but it's always nice to hear it said. Are you a kombucha guy? Uh, so I do live in the uh, West Coast, so I do uh, exist around a lot of kombucha. The weirdest thing, when you were bringing up the SCOBY, that's what the weird slime alien thing is called. Yeah. Uh, if you look on used like Craigslist, Facebook Marketplace around Victoria... You will constantly come across hippies trying to give away free scobies. So it'll be like the jar from some stranger, like free slime, um, because because it's like a religion. Like it's not just like you know. Have you ever just posted free Arnold Palmer's on on Facebook? Like you know, come to my house. I just want to convert you to this. But uh, you know, you will constantly see like scobies for free, free on the street. So then you've got the slime jar that's been out for god knows how long no uh so yeah this is uh there's i could get into one of the many disturbing aspects of putting on this you know beautiful. hard hard no hard no yeah um and, and, and i mean people now are starting to chime in on other i mean now people are talking about yogurt i now see that bubble bubble tea has entered the conversation here um so i'm I, yeah i i don't know i mean for me it's and and you would probably quite rightfully be able to just accuse me of being a little bit closed-minded on this i i bet people would say ryan if you'd actually give it a chance 
Uh, you may find that the health benefits of kombucha may outweigh any queasiness you, you may have about its origins. But I just, for me, there's just I, I can't. There are certain things when when I'm looking at consuming them, I can't erase. I, it, it's there's too much. There's too big of a hurdle. There's too big of a hurdle. This is why uh, I, you know, you may have seen on social media. They're, they're up, the elites are always trying to get us to eat bugs. There's always some article in the Atlantic, like every few days. It's like, hey, we have to eat crickets for the future to survive. The planet can't take it unless we're eating bugs. This is why I have hope. For the fact that we could actually be eating bugs in the future because when you actually break down a lot of our foods my favorite food is sausage that's a pig's literal like colon they you know wash out all the half digested pig food and you know the, the feces and then they take all the other like leftover parts of the pig grind them up and then put it in there with some spices i mean that i mean imagine if pigs found out what we were doing and like you're doing what um it's delicious. It's never going to stop being delicious. I know how it's made. I've seen them being made. It's still a sausage. So all we need is just like one or two clever marketing campaigns and then I'll be chowing down crickets like uh, no problem. I interviewed a couple uh, out of Edmonton, as a matter of fact, that have, I would say, a new business, but it's probably a few years old now, um, making cricket flour. It's flour made out of crickets and i started and i'm so i'm talking to them about their operation and they they were selling at farmers markets and then they got it into grocery stores which is obviously huge um and i'd be curious to see what the uptake was for people that are looking for those alternative proteins and sustainable proteins but the more they're talking about this operation and i'm trying to picture it and envision how it works and and i'm going so you raise these crickets like you you, you, I don't know if you breed them or you raise them or you got this these warehouse full of crickets and tell me about your operation and buddy finally says like by my fifth or sixth question he goes man like the whole operation is a hundred square feet he's, he's like we're raising yeah, yeah. crickets so yeah which uh, yeah uh, a, a family member has lives on a, an acreage just north of Victoria there's some child yelling in the background nothing to do with me um, bring anyway, the child uh, bring the child on we can we can do it like a family interview it's no problem hey, F, F, F. Get him down here okay yeah yeah we'll see we'll get we'll get opinion on you know who who's open to highly, eating highly what? who's you who's know, normally what? yeah I'm, I'm wearing a suit just like you yes you know I don't have children yelling at me yeah, yeah. okay anyway. that's okay are, are you uh, how have you been doing on the on the working from home thing? Are you, uh, do you, I mean, it seems to me. Oh, I was working from home before everybody was working from home. Yeah, you've been working from home Uh, for years, right? Yeah, there's no National Post uh, Bureau uh, out of Victoria. So I actually, even when I lived in Edmonton, I was figuring out a way from doing it from home. So I eat better. I mean, I used to be eating just sandwiches. Uh, Yeah, let's say hi. Let's say hi. Who is this, Tristan? This is Effie. Oh, she ran away. Oh, her shot, her first shot at her fifteen minutes. It'll it'll happen later. It'll happen later. But so you've been working from home for ages and ages. Oh yeah, we've been talking uh, an oh. interesting conversation today about uh, a couple of labor lawyers about an hour ago about whether or not employers should or can require vaccinations, you know, for for employees and what the implications would be and whether there's implications for private or or publicly traded businesses or or unionized workforces or otherwise. Do you have an opinion? Like, Mm -hmm. I I love talking to you. Typically, what we'll do when you and I speak is we'll get to the point of the interview about 40 minutes in. um, And in the meantime, we'll just swerve all over the place because I appreciate I appreciate your gut instinct. take on I don't see. I mean, you've you've had a lot of states in the U.S. who are like, oh, you know, we ban like vaccination passes. And if you're like a cruise line requires vaccination, like, you know, that's not allowed. You know, you're, you're basically and I'm seeing 
you know, some of my rural, you know, my, my very good rural friends on Facebook who are, you know, comparing this to like fascism, you know, they're, they're posting pictures of like some, some gal lighter, like demanding to see someone's papers and comparing this to the, uh, the vaccination regime. Uh, I'm not so sure. I'm more, um, I mean, if you're more on sort of the libertarian side of things, you believe that a business owner should be able to do whatever they want up to and including only vaccinated people allowed in here. <laughs> She has socks. She has socks. She has new socks. Can we, pants. Can we talk about the socks? Can she show us the socks? I mean, everybody she can get them. Look at those. Hey, how come? Can anybody confirm? Whenever a kid picks their own shoes, yeah. like puts their own shoes on, it's always wrong. 100% of the time. Always the left on the right and the right on the left. It's never correct. I'm wondering if I'm raising an Ivy Leaguer uh, because he gets the left and right mm-hmm. correct. But he consistently, you know where I thought you were going with this, which I see that your beautiful girl has done the same thing as my beautiful boy every single time he dresses himself is mismatched socks. And I think that they might be on. It's intentional. I'm near I'm neurotic about getting matched socks. And I feel like he's much more liberated than me. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, there is. uh, There have been times. There are days where I just let her do, you know, let her dress herself to 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 an extent. And uh, yeah, basically children. It is Pride Month. If allowed uh, to just sort of pick their own clothing, it's basically a pride parade every day. So she would do, you know, the full rainbow, the boa, some, you know, crazy hats, you know, the different socks. So, yeah, exactly. I love it. Can we say hi to her? Can we welcome her to Real Talk to the show? Oh, she ran away. Oh, she ran away. Uh, I noticed she's wearing socks, not shoes. Uh, this is my hard segue into your piece in the National Post. It prompted it prompted a real talk Twitter poll. It prompted um, about a half yeah. hour of discussion. And now here you are. You. Is it yeah. okay to wear shoes inside the house? Writes Tristan Hopper only if you're an abject barbarian. How did this yeah. get on your radar? Uh, this got on my radar because I was on, I was on some corner of the internet and it's my job to sort of keep in touch with what's going on. And there was a wet, uh, there was a, a map of, there's a, there was a map of different portions of the world and it was like countries ranked by, uh, the, by whether they wore shoes indoors. Uh, so I thought, um, everyone was just, you know, homo sapiens like us and they took their shoes off at the threshold. But they were saying, no, no, our neighbors south of the uh, south of the border of the, Uni- the United States, majority will keep their shoes on inside the house. Most of South America keeps their shoes on in the house. Large parts of France will keep their shoes on in the house. And then I brought it up with my editor, who grew up in Northern Ireland, and she said, oh, yeah, we keep our shoes on in the house. Uh, so, yeah, it was just my shock at realizing that, um, you know, a large part of the human family is just living in their own filth. And this is something when you look search online <laughs> with the global, especially with Netflix, uh, everybody in the world can get Netflix. There's just abject confusion and horror uh, from people like I, you know, especially Korea and Asia, you know, really uptight about taking the, the shoes off the threshold. And so you'll see all these like Korean forums. And they'll be like, I was watching Seinfeld and people just walk into Seinfeld's uh, place and just keep their shoes on. Is there something wrong? Is this some morality? Like maybe at the end of the season, they're all going to die of, you know, E. coli or something. Is, is this a plot point? And they're like, no, in, in New York, New York City, um, that is an accurate depiction of how people treat the indoors. Okay, so here, this is interesting. We do these uh, unofficial, unscientific Twitter polls. We do official 
scientific polling, our question of the week weekly at RyanJustin.com. This this more fit the Twitter poll, uh, a 12 hour poll with almost 4,300 votes, 80 percent of people going with hard. No, it is not OK to wear shoes inside the house. I found that our question lacked a little bit of nuance. I'm purely saying this for Sarah Hoyle's benefit because I think it's funny. On purpose, we did not, we left no room for nuance, right? But I think that there needs to be. For example, I would oh, never yeah. I, I would never say like, yes, it's okay to wear shoes in the house. Like in other words, all night I come in from the dog park, I leave my shoes on, I kick my feet up on the couch and I wear my shoes all night. But if I'm, I've forgotten my wallet and it's like, and I'm wearing like, you know, I don't wear Doc Martin boots, but if I had a pair of like, you know, eight lace holes and it takes me forever to put them on, I'm not taking the boots off to go grab my wallet off the counter or to grab my keys off the coffee table. So there needs to be, that's a different situation, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, there's always gradations. uh, Like, would I eat my dog? You know, usually no, but I'm sure in a famine situation, I would have to. And, you know, same thing in reverse, if, if the dog ever felt the, the need to. So uh, there was actually a lot of strong opinions about this. So uh, I, I got so much mail on this. And some people just all caps like, thank you. Um, it's it's people. It, there was a lot of like uh, immigrants to, you know, one of these barbarian cultures where they keep their shoes on. Uh, so someone wrote me from the Caribbean and said, like, you are a friend of the Caribbean today because I moved to the States and they all just keep their shoes on and I've never got over the shock of that. Uh, and then some people objected strongly to it because they had some sort of medical condition where they had to keep their shoes on or one time they were walking into the house without their shoes on and they got some kind of like foot fungus that ate their brain or something. Yes. So I'm sure there are reasonable exceptions that people can accept. But uh, yeah, I, I, I stand by my blanket statement. What would you uh, do? What would you do if I came to visit you and we hadn't seen mm-hmm. each other for quite some time? Uh, and and I and I came and I popped in and you noticed that as I because my arms are full because I'm bringing you like a broccoli casserole and I'm bringing you over yes. a nice bo- you know a, a bottle of kombucha for you and and we're gonna socialize mm-hmm. and, and you noticed that as I'm walking into your living room and then into your kitchen you've noticed I've left my shoes on would you say something? Yeah, yeah, I'd say why, why what's the, what are the shoes doing on? In fact, I'll take it a step further. I'm kind of uh, you know, I'm I'm like preaching to others. So when I go to someone's house and they're like leave your shoes on, I take them off. I'm like no, you don't know how to run your own house. <laughs> I will, I shall be removing my footwear at this time. So there's kind of like an impo- so you're you're a bit of a virtue signaler when it, when it comes to yeah, right. your your shoes indoors policy. Yeah, yeah, I should almost like take Instagram photos of me like in various indoor locations around the world with my shoes, like, you know, me at Westminster Abbey, uh, you know, various, various mosques and temples around the world. You know, do you take your, uh, do you take your, do you remove your footwear on an airplane on a crowded airplane? No, no, that's, that's a different kind of horror uh, because then you're exposing your, your sweaty feet uh, to the, so yeah, I have the opposite opinion on that. Yeah. In that case, because that is another problem. We've just completely abandoned any, uh, you know, sense of uh, uh, prop propriety when it comes to shoes. Because okay, now so- when you go to an airport, you, you will often see there, there are whole like Facebook groups of people taking their shoes off and just rubbing their sweaty feet on seats and uh, various airport infrastructure uh, or on aircraft. So I feel like a, a bit of a crown prosecutor here. But uh, Mr. Mm-hmm. Hopper, now could you explain to us? 
the difference between removing your shoes in front of uh, multiple people in a household versus removing yes. your shoes in front of multiple people on an aircraft. Okay, well, we're talking about what's on the shoes. So, so the aircraft, so the floor, that's just a lost cut. That's going to be a dirty floor. You just, you know, you treat that as a barn floor. I guess the problem with the indoors is that we're trying to keep a clean home here. It's very easy to have, you know, sort of dirt transfer from the, the floor of the house onto couches and onto other surfaces. So uh, I think, so they've done studies on this. This is what I threw into my story, uh, is that, you know, uh, just first of all, ask a landlord. Uh, a landlord will tell you if you wear your shoes indoors, you're going to completely wear out and destroy the carpet way faster than if it's uh, the sock feet. Um, if you live in an apartment, um, you're living over people. You might as well just be like, clonking around in clogs all day. So, you know, the sock, the sock feet versus, you know, I'm just going to keep my high heels on all day. Uh, so you're, you're torturing the people below you. So, you know, you've got floor destruction uh, <clears throat> in consideration towards your neighbors. And then the third point, you're stomping around outside all day, uh, you know, going through dog feces, uh, you know, at, around me, it's, you know, excess Toby that's been poured onto the sidewalk. Uh, you know, large portions of Victoria just smell like urine. Um, so your shoes are basically just a vector. Like in grade three, we paid Ty James like $3 to lick the bottom of his shoe. Did we do that because it's clean? No, because it's the dirtiest thing you can possibly think of. Way dirtier than any toilet seat. If someone brought their toilet seat into your house, just rubbed it on the, the person carpet. Is, is that a problem with you? I may perhaps someone would bring a toilet seat to the house so they could sit on their own seat while they sit on our mm -hmm. throne. I mean, I would actually see that as, as quite proactive. This Ty Smith, was it Ty Smith, this fella back in grade three? Any insight on in, in, Ty James? I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking of my uh, I'm thinking of the, the young star defenseman for the New Jersey Devils. But Ty, what, what did what did young Ty go on to do in, in, in life? Any insights into what he went on to accomplish? Uh, I don't know. He's the one that is one curse of my generation is that you have to sort of keep up with it. You know, this, Oh, the girl I sat next to in kindergarten, she's a, yeah. uh, you know, she's a, a model or something. So uh, I don't know what ties up to. I'd be curious because I, I could see that going in a number of different directions. Uh, you know, he, he could be the guy that threw caution to the wind. I mean, he did obviously anything for money, licking his shoe for three bucks. I wonder what he invested that three bucks into. And maybe that was the beginning of, of bold moves. I wonder if Ty right now is, is sitting on an eight figure fortune. I, I'd be curious to know. There was someone I went to high school with who became a very expensive gay prostitute very soon after and he was like the weird kid in the background so like you know uh, he was just you know kind of he was just the guy who you know didn't get along with others and then he just went to the gym uh got totally ripped and it was like uh, was apparently cleaning up i don't know if this is a rumor i heard it through my uh, through my normal gay channels so this isn't some sort of homophobic uh, screed against him but yeah yeah what you know follow who you went to school with do you have a do you have a recommended gay channel for people that would be curious on gay updates gay headlines gay perspectives gay channel oh no it's all it's all over the place it's now. All, okay yeah, I, I was just i, I was just curious uh pe people are now wondering tristan if you have strong opinions on people that would wear street clothes in the sheets for naps uh, oof, uh, inside the sheets. Uh, I did that yesterday. I took a nap, um, for, for very good reasons. Uh, I, over top of the covers, I think, because you, what you're trying to do is you're just trying to create a barrier between the filth of the outside world and the indoor world. So, you know, what they don't understand in the United States is they're just wading through 
uh, poop bacteria. So, okay, there's not been a lot of studies in this. They did find one. It was conducted by a shoe company. So they have an interest in showing that they're right because they were promoting some sort of washable shoe, I think. But, uh, yeah, um, if you take an average shoe, brand new Adidas right out of the box, and um, you walk around outside and then you test it, you're going to find a lot of bacteria. And you're not good yogurt bacteria. It's going to be poop bacteria. So things like E. coli and, and other such things of that nature. So Can you, this uh, isn't me, my weird germs. Like you, you will be swimming in poop if you uh, keep going with this shoes endorsed. Uh, I've, I've, I've been wondering about uh, people that have been taking your side on this. Uh, in responding to our Twitter poll based on your piece in the National you Post. Wear shoes indoors? I'm getting a lot of pushback. Uh, well, that's because this is a hard hitting interview, Tristan. This is oh, okay, real right. talk. Uh, okay. I, I don't suppose you expected just to show up this morning and mail it in and talking about shoes indoors. Yeah. But I got a lot of pushback from people that were talking about feces and poo and all this. And I'm going, where are you people walking? Like, where do you people go? Everywhere. If you go, go, if you walk, walk through a field, a dog has taken a dump there at some point. Right. But, but I'm not, uh, I'm not just, like, you know. it, it sounds to me like some of these folks, they go, well, if I get back from the dog park with, with poo all over my shoes, I'm going, that's, that doesn't really happen to me when I go to the dog park because I avoid it. I don't know if maybe, maybe we got to talk about, maybe we should help some people and let them understand that if you avoid the landmines, your shoes can stay more clean. I mean, we've got some great points even now coming in, like Haas pointing out carpet is way Way more gross than shoes, which Haas might actually be right. Donna says, what What if we're wearing sandals? Says a lot of people don't want my footprints all over their hardwood. Greg says, if you go to someone's house and you're wearing sandals, it's way more respectful to keep your sandals. Uh, or, or, you know, he asks the question, is it more respectful to keep your sandals off and walk around barefoot? Or do you keep the sandals on? I mean, I've been in this situation many times, Tristan, where I'm trying to choose footwear. But if, but if the footwear requires no socks and I'm going to a party where I don't know about the shoes on policy in the house, I'm going to have to change my entire outfit because I can't end up going barefoot. It will destroy, I mean, any preconceived notions that anybody may have. If I'm going barefoot at a party and people see my hobbit feet, it's going to go in a bad way. Yeah. Uh, well, there is a very easy solution for this. Uh, it is followed all around the world, particularly in Russia. Um, so Russia... Pretty well-dressed people, lots of, you know, high-end parties in Moscow. You bring a second pair of indoor shoes. So you just like Mr. Rogers. So as a part of your, like, fancy outfit, you've got your outdoor shoes covered in poop, and then you leave those in the front room. Right. And then you have your non-poopy shoes, and you bring those in. I mean, if you had, I mean, it would be the same of any other article of clothing. If you had a hat that was covered in poop, you would leave that at the threshold. Maybe you'd bring a, a non-poop hat for, for social occasions. Yeah. Um, Trevor M., is wondering when I'm going to ask you any actual questions. And I don't understand that. Oh, yeah, I, I know actual things about things that matter. But, but the, you know, these are all broader. actual questions. Um, and, they are, yeah. And, and, and these mean, are questions. The attention this got, got way more attention. Because if, if, if you've grown up taking your shoes off the threshold, uh, it's it's horrifying to realize that there's, there's people who do it. And, you know, luckily, we live in a society of peace. Because if I, uh, you know, I, I make fun of religious wars. It's like, oh, yeah, the Catholics want to war with the Protestants. That's stupid. It's all the same God, isn't it? But I would I would go to, if, you know, if things, I would go to war with the shoes and door crowd if you know, it ever came to that. I mean, I've, 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 all, I've long admired your ability to infuriate people on a number of fronts, uh, which is why I always find our conversations uh, to be so wonderful. Uh, what's, what's your neck of the woods doing 
about mask bylaws, return to normal, reopening, the whole nine yards. What are you what are you picking up with where people are at with, with regards to mentally moving on? I understand this is loaded language. I understand some people are going to be furious to point out that people are still getting COVID. People are still in the hospital with COVID, but the case yeah. numbers are yeah. way down. People are talking about way you down. Know, emerging and they, for and summer. The cases have separated from, so throughout most of the pandemic, if cases went up, you, it, you had a lagging indicator, you know, deaths would be expected to go up. But I mean, we've done really well with vaccinations. And that was really hard on the federal government for its vaccination policy. They completely screwed up that file in the first months. But the vaccination rollout has been way faster than I think anybody anticipated. And that four month dosage gap, that's another controversial. People got mad about, you know, I, I was supposed to get it in two weeks and I had to wait four months. As a result of that, that's the smartest thing we've done all pandemic. That completely stretched our supply. <laughs> and ensured that millions more people would have at least some immunity as fast as possible. So, um, yeah, you're right. Cases are going down and sort of deaths is separated from those cases. So we're at the point now where our daily COVID deaths federally are getting lower than you would expect pneumonia and flu deaths to be in a normal year. So in a normal year, roughly 12 people a day are going to die of some respiratory disease like flu uh, or pneumonia. And now, Late last week, we were looking at like 12, 11 COVID-19 deaths a day. So, uh, yeah, the the risk uh, from this pandemic has gone just absolutely way down. So I think you're right. I think there's some people who are not mentally prepared for a sort of post-pandemic world. I've, I've started experimenting with if I'm going into an apartment lobby and I don't see anybody, I won't put the uh, I won't put the mask on. You know, if there's nobody else in the elevator, maybe I'll just, uh, you know, leave the leave the mask off. So, um uh, yeah, I think uh, BC has been better than any other part of Canada in just sort of listening to the science, listening to the evidence, uh, not going on like knee jerk reactions to keep lockdowns going. Like what's going on at the border and what's going on in Ontario is just just insane right now. Um, like the border makes absolutely no sense. There is no relation to evidence. Um, a, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the lockdowns in Ontario. But I think BC has been pretty good at when those case numbers go down, they reopen. So we've always had hair salons open. Um, we've had indoor dining for the last 10 months. So I'm happy to live in a place that I think is reopening on a timeline that makes sense. A buddy of mine told me yesterday that he was just made aware that his longtime hairstylist will not get vaccinated. Um, she's on the service, obviously presenting side, right? She's she's the business owner. She's the one that's yeah. going to be hovering over him, cutting his hair. I said, are you still going to go to her? She's like, she's cut his hair for 20 years. I said, are you still going to go to her? He goes, I don't know. He said, I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, I, I probably wouldn't. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the, the thing about, like, I, I, I don't believe in making people get the vaccination, but I want to know, like, uh, if, if you have. Yeah, I'm the you, same way. Got I'm the same way. Hey, man, this has been such a fun exercise for me to watch you do an interview uh, and, and put in a great effort while also being father of the year. What a delight to meet your little one. I'm so grateful that she made her Real Talk debut today, and I'm looking forward to the next time our paths cross. It's always good to check in. Thanks so much for making time for us, pal. Thank you. That's Tristan Hopper, national columnist for the National Post based out of British Columbia. I wanted to kind of keep it going to just watch him continue to try to do both. Yeah. <laughs> right. And like, listen. He was. He was giving, you yeah. know. Maintain eye contact. And yeah. And answer all of your questions. Isn't it interesting what he, he points out BC and says, you know, BC's done relatively well. His home province, at mm. least where he's living now. Um, you look at these numbers from Angus Reid. 
uh, national pollster. These were released, I think, on June 9th. These are uh, almost, uh, I think, two weeks to the day. Uh, Francois Legault, Premier Legault in, in Quebec, 66% approval. John Horgan in BC is right behind him on his heels. Mm. Uh, Premier's Fury and Moe are all doing relatively well. Blaine Higgs in New Brunswick at 55%. But but these are Premier's polling. Uh, Premier Rankin in Nova Scotia, 53%. Then there's a big drop, right? You, so you've got 66% Legault, 63 Horgan. Uh, Doug Ford in Ontario, 35%. Brian Pallister, 33%. Premier Jason Kenney, 31%. Uh, the lowest approval rating of any premier in the country. Tristan's assessment, I mean, you know, specifically about BC is that the impression is that BC's listened to the science. And, and you wonder if that's a direct correlation to where the, the polling's at right now. 31%. That's a tough one for any politician. But when you look at, sure, they were they were following the science, but what did that, what did that, um, create that created uh consistency not a lot of back and forth it created um you know the a situation where the the pandemic wasn't you know going all over the place and up and down and spiking and can we also point out that there's some inconsistency with people i'm holding a jerry can in a match right now Oh boy here we go people were listening up a lot of people were listening to the science up until recently hmm like, I know that people will tune in from across the country right now, but just to, to, to re-reference what's going on in Edmonton, a close city council vote, I believe it was 7-6 off the top of my head. Uh, some people are infuriated that Edmonton City Council voted to lift the mandatory mask bylaw. Like it or not, they're listening to the science. The councilors that voted to lift the mandatory mass bylaw are listening to and paying attention to the data from and using the mile markers provided by Dr. Dina Hinshaw, Alberta's chief medical officer of health. Like it or not, that's 100% it. Okay, so we're saying that that's science? Yeah. Public health officials have, have, been, have been providing data and insight and expert opinion for the last 18 months on how numbers like our values or infections or hospitalizations or ICU admissions or mm -hmm, deaths mm -hmm. factor in or should factor into public policy, into the politics of the pandemic, into public policy. And we as a population have essentially been informed that when numbers get to a certain point or a certain level, then some restrictions can be eased. That's the that's the entire that's been the impetus the entire time, except now it's going in the other direction. Right. When numbers were going up, when they were skyrocketing and they were saying, look at all these new infections, look at these hospitalizations, mm. look at the rates of infection, look at the variants, look at the, how contagious they are. Look at all of these numbers, 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 data, evidence, science. That is why we must lock down. That is why we must close this. That is why we must require masks. That is what. Right. But now that the numbers are dropping and the stats are dropping and politicians are, I think, in some circumstances, some of them in an effort at prudence are saying we're not quite ready yet. And our vote is to keep the mask bylaw in place. Other politicians are saying if we were listening to expert opinion and data and science and numbers before, <clears throat> we should continue to do so now. And the numbers show that we're at a point where they can start easing restrictions. And that's why they're voting the way they are. I didn't cast a vote on council. I'm just saying that I would think that that would have factored into many of the city councilors that said we're going to vote to lift it. I just I, I think that the the basing the decision on what Dina Hinshaw has said is 
a little off to me because she has not been the leader that I that I feel that she could wow. have been. I mean, I know that she was she was dealing with a lot of things behind the scenes, but um I I just I I take issue with the idea of okay, so now now we can listen to her. It's so a, you're saying we shouldn't listen to her? You're saying we should who, who should we trust instead of her? Who should we listen to instead of her? I would actually look to just because I know I, what I have witnessed is that she's very much aligning herself with the UCP government. I don't know. And so to me, I would go, okay, so what's, what's the Canadian, uh, the Canadian mental health officer. What is, what's being said from that office? What, what, what respectfully, what on earth, what credibility does uh, the Canadian Mental Health Association have on discussing mask bylaws. Did I say mental health? Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean mental health. I just meant. Uh, okay. So you're health. talking like Teresa Tam? Yes. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Woo. Okay. Yeah. I'm going, yeah. No, I don't. Okay. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, 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 first of all, really interesting. Uh, several months ago, I called out Dr. Dina Hinshaw publicly mm-hmm. and yeah. it gained a lot of traction. Dr. James Talbot, previously Alberta's chief medical officer of health, reached out, gave us a great interview. And I would encourage people to check that out. He was very candid and he described the real challenges that can come along with the job. I'm not an apologist for Dr. Dina Hinshaw. I don't think that she should be beyond criticism. I think that there have been um, it's a very challenging position. And I think it's probably extremely difficult. Absolutely. To understand the role that a public health official would play in a pandemic Never mind advising a government led by a stubborn, bullish individual like Jason Kenney. It's probably different for every other chief medical officer of health in the country than it is for the one in Alberta. I think I I feel pretty safe making that statement. Mm. Um, I just think that at some point. And I understand that some people are going to voluntarily wear masks for ages. People will wear, you know, in, you know, not just the cloth mask. People wear the N95s um, because they don't feel comfortable being out in public with people. They don't know if these people are vaccinated or not. Right. Like we'll sit here and say, um, you know, you can come into our workplace. You, you know, if you're not vaccinated, you must wear a mask to come into our workplace or to come into our you know, place of business. For example, mm-hmm. if I'm a restaurateur or if I have a clothing shop or if I'm a, an accountant, you want to come in my office. If you're not vaccinated, you have to wear a mask. Well, how do we ensure compliance there? How do we know people are telling the truth? If people aren't vaccinated to a certain degree, I think it's safe to suggest that they have some cynicism around COVID. They have some they have cynicism around the vaccine. They have cynicism around masks, you know. So I, I think that, you know, there, there are people that are going to proactively wear their own masks and 95s to protect themselves or because it gives them that sense of protection or at least they're taking the steps that they can take. It's not it's not a sense of protection. It's no, it like, is. it's for your own personal protection. It's it's it, it is like one of the things that Dr. Fauci has said in the States is that masks are one of the most effective way of decreasing transmission yeah so it's not just a uh, like a perception that oh this makes me safer it it legitimately does it's also about like am i if i like if i'm vaccinated i can still carry so it's not just about me it's about also protecting others sure and so you may decide to wear a mask at some point 
you guys know me. I'm not I'm not an anti-masker. Yeah. I mean, if, if anything, we've been banging the drum for the last 18 months. I've been doing it on two different shows, bringing on health experts and telling the anti-science crew to fuck off. I mean, mm. that's what I've been doing. My track record is strong. I'm just saying at some point we will emerge out of this and there will be some discomfort with people around the decisions as we emerge from this. And mm-hmm. a big part of that is going to be when mandatory mask bylaws are lifted, right? right? A big part of it is going to be that. Now, a lot of people are going to say, there's no way I'm going to the Calgary Stampede. Some people are going to say, <laughs> yeah. there's no way they're going to go to a restaurant. For some people, there's no way they're going to go out in public. That's perfectly fine. But at some point, there's got to be a move back to what people are accustomed to. And we have to, I suppose, be able to justify those decisions based on something. So if you're a politician and you're going to be knocking on doors, seeking reelection, and someone's going to say, I do not like the way that you voted on that. The politician's going to have to be able to say to the person, here's what I based my decision on. Yeah. And I think that probably the, I won't say bulletproof, because you can still sustain political wounds based on the way you vote. Some people don't care about the justification. They only care about the vote. And that's fine. That's your right as a voter. Mm Mm-hmm. But those people are probably going to say the most bulletproof justification you could put forth is that I based it on numbers and science and data and evidence. And we were trending down to a point where I felt comfortable making the decision. Sam, where do you land on it? Well, I, I got a couple things that, that are sort of jogging my mind right now. One has been um, Dr. James Talbot did, you know, come on before and say that like, Albert is on the right track. And we need to talk to trust Dr. Hinchon. And that's 100 percent true. Uh, lately, and by lately, I mean probably within the last month, month and a half since Alberta's announced their reopening strategy, Dr. Talbot has been doing a lot of press saying this is a reckless plan that is moving too fast. That is his official position right now. And he's been on the record saying that in multiple media Mm -hmm. outlets. So, you know, there's a little bit of a disconnect there just to begin with. The second thing that I'd say is I think that, you know, one of the things that's kind of left out of this conversation is that Alberta is basing our entire benchmarks on first doses and first doses only. We don't have second dose benchmarks baked into the reopening plan, whereas tons of other jurisdictions do, mm-hmm. as do they have them baked into their mask bylaw plans. So I think we're not comparing apples to apples. Like if you say we're trusting the science, well, the science in some jurisdictions has first dose, second dose, hospitalization benchmarks. Alberta did away with all of that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm curious where the science is on this because different health experts with different political bends tugging them in one direction or the other because we know these decisions are partly political. No, but hang on a second. People are, need to understand yeah. like medical chief medical officers of health or medical officers of health do not dictate the political policy. They advise on the political policy. Behind closed doors, Dina Hinshaw is not beholden to toe any line. She also cannot impact the policy in the sense that if the premier or the health minister, or the education minister tells her to, you know, beat it, um, she's uh, in a position where she, she's provided her best advice and to a certain degree has had to step up and be the messenger. Right. So but but ultimately this caused and, and I agree with you. I mean, I, I sat here and took a big wide swipe at the Calgary Stampede 30 minutes ago. Alberta's not out of the woods. Nobody's out of the woods. I'm just saying at some point. At some point, my friends, this whole thing is going to wrap up and there's going to be a point where we still recognize. I mean, I was talking to a teacher the other day uh, messaging back and forth. Always appreciate your emails to talk at RyanJesperson.com. They had a student in the classroom. The suspicion was that the student had measles. 
And she said, what? How does a student get measles? Well, not vaccinated. So, yeah, there's still going to be cases of COVID-19, right? Medical experts are telling us that people will still get COVID-19 like five years from now. It's never going to be at zero. It's, it's, it's very unlikely that it's going to be to zero based on vaccine hesitance and a whole bunch of other factors. Uh, but, you know, I mean, people here are saying like Jesperson doesn't understand the purpose of a mask, right? Spartan Canuck, super smarty pants, says Jesperson, do- looks, Jesperson doesn't understand the purpose of a mask, right? It's not personal protection. It's to not be a spreader. Yeah. Loud and clear, loud and clear, hundreds of interviews on it. But at some point, people have and people are probably at this point already. They're losing their appetite for mandatory mask bylaws. There's a huge difference between mandatory and voluntary. And you're more than will. I mean, I'm going to keep wearing masks in public because I've told you I appreciate shopping in peace. I mean, just for there's there's many reasons why people will wear masks. I become it is quite comfortable to me to walk mm. downtown with a mask on. Quite frankly, I like the feel of it. So I'll keep wearing masks sometimes. I will always wear a mask on an aircraft now, mostly because I'm the guy that sleeps on the airplane with his mouth wide open. And Carrie always takes pictures of me and posts them on Insta story. Now I'll just wear a mask and those cool little eye cushions and I'll be completely protected. But. What I'm talking about when I say personal protection, Spartan Canuck, and I made it very clear, is that I'm not talking about cloth masks. I'm talking about N95s. Cloth masks do not protect you from getting sick. Health officials have said that. And they've been all over the map on masks, by the way, over the last year and a half. But it's never been to protect you from getting sick. As you said, it's to protect others from you. The N95 is the other way around. The N95 offers protection both ways, right? N95 is what firefighters and police and others have been wearing as, as PPE. It's the mask that does. It is personal protection. Your flimsy little, you know, mask of your favorite band or your favorite hockey team. That's not going to keep you from getting sick. So, I mean, it, it's just this is an interesting conversation. I don't necessarily think that there's a completely right answer because there are people that have been diligent and people that, that get double vaccinated, people that were first in line to get their second shot that now and the reason why they've been doing it is because they're ready to throw their masks out and never put them on again and hug their grandkids. You know? I was going to say and pass joints around the campfire circle, but that would be normalizing cannabis. People want to start doing things again that they can. Like, hey, how's that wine? You want to try it before you order one? Try it. Have a sip of my wine. You think anybody has been doing that in the last year and a half? I mean, most people, not a chance. Things that were so normal, right? The thing that I worry about... And maybe we want to move on. I, I don't know. But the thing that I worry about is mask mandates. They actually, they help people that are in the service industry and they, they help it. I mean, we still get those people that are belligerent and say, I'm not wearing a mask and swear and everyone pulls up their phones and records it. But the mask mandates um, help people that are uh, they're trying to stay safe and still do uh, their jobs. Some random guy says, yes, Ryan, at some point, but this isn't the point Mm. yet. Well, sure, but based on what? Based on what? Like, to a certain degree, maybe I'm being devil's advocate here. I'm not the guy that's like cheerleading the Calgary Stampede, and I will not be going to the Calgary Stampede, and I love the Stampede. 
I've dug in my heels on this several times to say one of the things that's really annoying me, and I saw one of you on the live chat said the same thing, is that you don't appreciate that the politics around this have portrayed people that are still insisting on wearing masks as now being anti-science. Why don't you listen to the science? You can take your mask off. Don't, don't allow anyone to influence you to ditch your mask if you're not comfortable with it. And to a certain degree, I mean, you know, I believe in free markets and the power of the market and the, the, the influence of the consumer. To a certain degree, the free market will decide how comfortable people feel about mask policies in workplaces. But if this is not the point yet, I mean, with respect, that's your opinion, right? And other people have different opinions. The good news is, is we will continue to sweat, to sweat and squirm here on Real Talk as we have these conversations where even in the same room, people don't agree. And who knows? Maybe I won't even agree with my take later in the day. If you're walking with this, if you have something you'd love to say, but you realize as we're getting set to wrap here that you didn't get a chance to say it, we would love for you to chime in and send us an email. As a matter of fact, I'm going to read a couple emails in just a second before we say goodbye for the day. But first, I wanted to remind you that the teams at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge know that this is the time of year where everybody is excited about getting outdoors. They're excited about saying goodbye to the rat race. Just like our conversation about lying flat earlier today, if that for you means pulling a boat, pulling a trailer, or getting out off the beaten path, Canadians have been trusting Ram trucks as their heavy haulers for decades. You won't find a better selection of Rams from the half ton all the way up to the big one tons at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. Check out their inventory online right now under the sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. Also wanted to remind you that the team at Friesen Brothers has you covered throughout this grilling season for more than 65 years. They've been proudly supporting Alberta producers. That includes producers that are putting out some of the best vegan and vegetarian options across the country. You'll find them clearly labeled easy to find at the 16 Friesen Brothers across the province of Alberta, including their new store in South Edmonton. You can check them out online again under the sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. Our friends at Local Waste want to remind you that integrity is so much of their driving force. I mean, it is one of their core values. They have it up on the wall in their office. Integrity and no BS. I've seen them both myself. That means when they sniff out something that stinks in the waste management business, they're going to sign. They're going to let you know and wave that red flag. If you've got a suspicious email as an entrepreneur about your waste management contract, you have questions, Mikel would love to talk to you via localwaste.ca. They'll tell you more details on what I'm hinting at here. Don't sign a bad contract. Do what's best for your business with local waste. And a big shout out to the team at Kubi energy we want to remind you that this is the time of year where jake and his team have their installation crews busy across western canada right now an opportunity to knock nine thousand dollars off your solar install how give them a call and ask you'll find them online at kubienergy.ca a reminder the first show of every week kubi energy presents positive reflections we're taking your emails 24 7 to talk at ryanjesperson.com what's made you smile what's filled your bucket what brought you joy we want to know positive reflections every monday or the first show of every week love this from tanya who said in an email to us the subject line, what a week to miss it live. Damn, she says, that's all I can say. All my work commitments and meetings and important stuff kept me from catching the show live this week, which which really burned me on a couple of occasions. She says, I love, love, loved your conversation with Sophie Pierre out in B.C. 
that former residential school turned resort. What a conversation. She says, but particularly the great shoes indoors debate. She says, thanks for grabbing that baton and running with it, including today. I wasn't able to join in live, but it sure was fun watching it later. A much needed diversion after a couple of hard weeks. Tanya will find reasons to distract us from the serious stuff every once in a while. Appreciated this from Brandon, not his real name. Said, first of all, it, it's important to me that I remain anonymous with these comments, but but I wanted to validate the comments that were made on your show a while ago from Mayor Chris Spearman out of Lethbridge, Craig Snodgrass, the mayor in High River. He says they're exactly correct when they said that municipal politicians in Alberta are keeping their lips zipped and not criticizing this Kenny government for fear of retribution. Mayor Snodgrass was absolutely correct when he said that funding your new pool or, you know, clean water in our rivers are different issues and should be treated as such. But what I can tell you is that I and many others, I verified this email, by the way, it's from a credible source. We do not trust this government to keep these issues separate. Our municipality is expecting a significant investment and funding announcement to kickstart a very innovative region changing venture. If a group were to speak out, I do believe that it would be heard. And I do believe that it would jeopardize the project. When you've got your chief of staff, for the Ministry of Environment sitting on, watching over, and advocating on your local constituency association. You never know who's listening, watching, and reporting back to Chancellor Kenny. That's all for now, says Brandon, not his real name. We also got this from Bubba, who says, I I must not identify myself by my given name because it would cost me my job in a UCP-oriented municipality. As noted, I work for a municipality, and, and my frustration focuses on hypocrisy, specifically regarding equalization. Because if you think about it, says Baba, Alberta has its own equalization formula, the one that it uses with municipalities. This is an interesting point. There are many programs that hand money back to municipalities based on certain metrics of need, regardless of how the money was collected. In municipal circles, it actually makes total sense. It makes sense to us in towns, cities, or even counties that may need more based on certain factors. There's no complaints here on that. But there's a new equalization formula in municipal Alberta that's wholly attributable to this government, and there's no way to defend it, and that's the provincial police funding formula. Prior to the UCP implementing this program, many smaller municipalities, rural municipalities, did not pay directly for policing services. I work for a municipality that didn't pay anything for policing. And although it did hurt us to raise taxes under Premier Kenny to pay for this new fee, how could one argue? I mean, only people in larger municipalities or cities should pay directly for police. It didn't make sense to me. So I begrudgingly support that we should all pay something directly. But here's the thing. In our region, that works out to just five new RCMP officers. The province has told us we won't be getting additional officers because our crime rate's too low. They'll be deployed to areas of the province where the need's greater. They said the election promise was to address crime rates across the entire province, and they need to deploy resources where they're needed. If we didn't actually need more RCMP in our region, how should we get them, even if we paid for them? It doesn't make sense. So to hear this premier, this government rail against equalization federally is sheer hypocrisy. They're doing it already right here, impacting us. I could tell you more, but I'd hate to cloud the issue. That from Bubba. Appreciate that. We got an email from Jen who says, uh, I uh, says recently, one of the authors of Alberta's draft social studies curriculum, Chris Champion, shared blatantly racist comments on social media regarding the discovery of the remains of children at the Tecumloops Residential School Grounds. 
He's trying to explain away cultural genocide through mortality rates and tuberculosis and even has the nerve to suggest that residential schools were positive places due to photos with smiling kids, completely ignoring documented stories of abuse and trauma shared by survivors, brave survivors. Champions contributions must be removed from this curriculum. Examples of this deeply seeded racism are laced through the draft through his othering of non-European people. Now, I know the draft is being updated in response to feedback, but there's no Band-Aid that can fix this, says Jen. It needs to be redone. Proper consultation, meaningful consultation from educators and indigenous people in Alberta. The government must do the right thing and remove this portion of the curriculum. And I love this one from Bruce, who said, I appreciated your show last Tuesday. He says, I've been bewildered by people who deny the self-evident that is covid and the power of vaccines albert camus in his novel the plague warns us of chilling consequences quote there is a terrible cogency in the self-evident ultimately it breaks down all defenses bruce says one of those pithy quotes to pack for an opportune moment Wanted to leave you with that as you continue to have conversations with friends, neighbors and loved ones about vaccines, about masks and about everything else. We commit to continue to have uncomfortable conversations, to solicit different opinions and to make meaningful strides in understanding where one another is coming from. Tomorrow, an amazing show in store, including the chief of Treaty A. We're going to get into some of the conversations we need to have around accountability and reconciliation, plus a possibility panel. What could Alberta look like 30 years from now? We'll go there and talk to you then. They're gonna win.